to our split session with the men and women. We have one more, one more session to cover. And so if you have your evangelism simplified guidebook, we want to make sure everybody receives the material. If you, you do not have the material on the back pew, you'll find additional copies. We'll be glad to provide that for you tonight. I learned today, not only is your preacher, he's uh, not only is he gifted in the pulpit, but he's one of the best tour guides I think we've ever uh, come across. And if he uh, ever can't preach, he knows he's got a job uh, touring uh, Titusville. And so he took us out to the island and uh, uh, I said, Matt, the only thing you lack is a little sign that says tips appreciated. And uh, it was really good. I mean, Matt, he, we, we, were, we were blessed today to spend time with him and his boys and really enjoyed seeing the beauty of, of, of this area. Um, Hannah took some exceptional pictures. You'll notice the car, she has 110 different designs. Uh, she'll have more because Titusville is going to be added to her list. On the bottom right-hand side of each card is the location of the pictures. She takes each one of those pictures. And uh, she got some card-worthy pictures uh, today. And so Titusville will be added to the list. So we're, um, we're looking forward to, to that. If you've not already scanned that QR code, you'll receive Reaching the Lost. That is our, uh, our instructional um, format. That is how we provide you with the tools you need to uh, reach the lost. And uh, that's a very important part of our training. We want to make sure that the, the saved are trained to teach the lost. And we can't do that if you don't provide us email. This seminar is not enough. I want to be clear tonight. This is not enough. This is just the starting point. If it ends tonight, you're, there is no way on earth you're going to see that, that shift, that cultural shift in the pews that results in that, that growth that comes from evangelism. So this is just a beginning point. And so we're going to continue to provide training and there we have a complete curriculum, a, a, a process that will, it's almost like a franchise. You, you, once, you, once you find the process that works, you just, start, you just start multiplying it all over the country. And that's what we're trying to do. And we're just so thankful to your elders to, to want to enroll in the school and be a part of this great work. We want, to, uh, we want to end our, at least our combined sessions by dealing with uh, what may be one of the more challenging parts of evangelism because you're dealing with people. And when you deal with people, you're dealing with problems because people do not go A, B, C, one, two, three. That's not, that's, we're just not that simple. We're more like A, D, G, Z, P. We, we are not dot to dots. And so because we're not cookie cutters, because we all have a, a, some differences, it's important to understand that there are challenges that await an evangelistic church. And so I, I want to deal with those challenges tonight. I don't want you to be afraid. Uh, fear is one of the tools the devil uses to keep Christians from doing their job. He, he wants you to be afraid. He, uh, I, I tell you what, fear does not do well mixed with faith. And if, if you're governed by fear, I promise you're not governed by faith. And if we hide in our church buildings and, and if we hide from this world, uh, there is no way on earth we're going to be effective reaching the lost. So I want you tonight to understand that you've got to get over your fears and that God has equipped you, that God has given you everything you need to deal with this world. No matter how wicked it gets, no matter what the problems are, God has given us the answer. In 2 Peter 1 and 3, according to his divine power, he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And so the answer is in the scripture. What I want to do tonight is I want to, I want to share with you answers to difficult issues. 
The first principle in evangelism is defer, don't debate. Most issues you run across in a Bible study are solved in the first principle. Do not chase the rabbit. If they're asking you Bible questions, you, you need to defer the question. If you're not deferring the question, you're never going to get to Calvary. And so if they're asking you about uh, one saved, always saved, tongue speaking, miracles, millennial reigns, and whatever it is, I would highly suggest you say this. That is a great question. And I think it's one that deserves to be answered. Would it be okay if we wrote it on the back page of our little booklet? Because we're going to get to it. We're going to get to that answer. But we don't want to put the cart before the horse. We've got to build the foundation first. And so if you'll permit me, let's write it down so we don't forget. And let's continue the study. I'm going to say well above 95 out of 100. That answer is going to help you defer and not debate. And so a Bible study is not productive if you sit there and answer questions. Teachers don't sit and answer questions. Students answer questions. And so we need to understand that most of the questions that you're going to be asked are questions you should not be answering. But there are times in the study, particularly in the close of the study, there are times in a study where you're going to have to deal with difficult issues. There are times when it requires, it's going to be a requirement that you deal with those issues. His name is Clifton Hackett. Clifton is the son of the Hackett family. The Hackett family is a faithful family and they're gonna park in the Hackett parking spot. They're gonna, they're gonna walk in the Hackett door, sit in the Hackett pew and, and there's gonna be Papa Hackett, which is Jeff Hackett, Mama Hackett, which is Melody Hackett. And there's gonna be the four Hackett children. Clifton is the oldest Hackett. There's gonna be Allison Hackett, Jed Hackett and little Caitlin Hackett. And they're going to sit in that pew Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, every vacation, Bible school, and gospel meeting. That's the Hackett family. But tonight, they've got an extra Hackett. So I walked, in, I walked up to the Hackett family, and I said, hey, Jeff, you doing okay? And he said, yeah, Melody. And I said, Clifton, who do you got with you there? And he said, oh, that's, her name's Callie, Rob. And I said, well, I said, Clifton, I said, is she your friend? And he said, yes. I said, is she your girlfriend, Clifton? He said, yes. I said, Miss Callie, it's really nice to meet you. I said, my name is Rob Whitaker. What do you, what do you want to know about Clifton? And uh, she kind of smiled at me. So at that very, that very moment, I baptized her right here. Because I have one mission now with Callie. I'm going to bring her to the cross. So everything I do from this day forward is designed to help Callie come to know Jesus. She doesn't know that. But that's my mission. That's the mission of the church. My mission, when I meet anyone, is to bring them to Jesus. And brethren, if your mission is not to bring people to Jesus, you're not like Jesus. Because Jesus said, my mission, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, is to seek and save the lost. So everything I do in my life, I want to pattern after the Son of God. And if his mission is to bring people to Christ, if his mission, if that was his mission, that's my mission. I will never have a better mission. One of the reasons our churches struggle is because many in our churches don't know the mission. They have forgotten the mission. We need elderships and pulpits to focus the members on their mission. During our Sunday worship service, I, I peeked over my shoulder and I looked back at Callie and she's praying. She's singing. She's got her Bible out and she's taking notes. This is all a good sign. I noticed that Callie came back on Sunday night. Callie came back on Wednesday night and Callie kept coming back. 
And I noticed that Callie was, a, she's a very, she's just a very kind-hearted young lady. She never has a bad word to say. She's always smiling. And I noticed that Clifton, at one point, he, he was unable to attend. And I looked back and there was Callie sitting in the hackett pew like she belonged. And I could see that progress was being made. You can't rush time. It, it takes a little time for someone, you know, to develop those, 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 those um, essential qualities in order to, to learn the word of God. And, and Callie's developing them. And so Clifton came up to me one evening and he said, hey, Rob, I got to talk to you. And I said, what is it, Clifton? He said, you know, I've, I've known Callie for a little while. And uh, she started to come to church with me. And I said, well, Clifton, that's really good. He said, Rob, I think she's the one. I said, now, Clifton, that's a big statement. He said, but Rob, I've got a problem. And I said, what is it? He said, she's not a Christian, Rob. And he said, I'm not, I'm not going to marry her. She's not a Christian. And I, he said, I was wondering if you could help me about this issue. I said, well, Clifton, that just so happens to be my specialty. And I said, I would love to help you, son. And I said, in fact, did you know on Thursday night at my house, we're playing Callie's favorite game. What is it? And he said, well, what do you mean? I said, what's your favorite game? We're going to be playing it on Thursday night. He said, we like skip bow. I said, we're playing skip bow on Thursday night and I need you and Callie at the house. He said, Rob, I know what you're going to do. I said, it won't take long, Clifton. I said, uh, you just make sure she's at my house on Thursday night. And Nicole and I, 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 of course, I had to tell Nicole about this. And, uh, and I said, Nicole, we've got to have a get together at the house on Thursday. And sure enough, uh, we're going to, you know, Nicole's going to make a dinner and Hannah's going to make a dessert, probably a peanut butter pie. And um, they come on over, you know, we're just talking to them, learning a little bit more about, you know, kind of where they are in life and what their future plans and more about our family. And, and she's volunteering the information. I'm making mental notes. I'm hesitating when I need to. I'm deferring if, 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 I, if I should. I'm practicing those seven principles, hospitality. I, I'm practicing hearkening. I, I'm doing all those seven principles. And, and we're just about there. And I looked at Callie and said, would you like to know a little bit more about the church, Callie? She said, I, I kind of would, Mr. Rob. I said, well, I said, Callie, I said, I, let me see here. I just so happen to have these little booklets. And I said, Callie, if we'd like to sit around the table, Nicole, grab the Bibles. She grabbed the Bibles. We grabbed the pens. We started up John 8, 32. And ye shall know the truth. And the truth will make you free. I said, Callie, what makes you free? She said, the truth. I said, would you write that in the blank? And we started our journey. She's building faith. Romans 10, 17. She's developing. You can just see it. And, and you, can, you can see the, uh, you can see the um, in her eyes. She, she grows and she learns. And, and she really doesn't have a lot of problem in book one. In fact, at the end of the study, I asked her a question. I said, Callie, you learn anything new in book number one? She said, well, Mr. Rob, she says, I'll just be honest. I've kind of learned this stuff already. She said, I enjoyed the study, but... Uh, I've been listening to your sermons and Mr. Rob, do you have anything else? <laughs> and I said, well, I do. I got book two. And I said, how about that? And she said, well, that'd be good, Mr. Rob. So we, uh, we, uh, the next week we gathered together. We started book two, the church of Christ. We go over the, you know, the uniqueness of the church, the worship, the name. And we are just, you know, we're covering different aspects of the church and man, she's, she's on board, but I know some of the things that she's learning are, they're different than the religion of her family. I know that. And uh, as we're doing those studies, I, I kind of ask her some questions. I say, Callie, I said, uh, you, you have any uh, issues here with what you've just learned? And uh, she said, Mr. Rob, if it's in the Bible, I believe it. That's a pretty good heart. 
Something happened to Callie that's going to change the course of this study. I got a phone call from Clifton Hackett and uh, I picked it up and said, hey, Clifton, how's things going? He says, Rob, have you heard the news? And I, I said, I haven't. Clifton, what's going on? She said, Callie's dad just had a heart attack, Rob. I said, oh, Clifton, I'm so sorry. I said, I, I tell you what, what hospital is it? I'll be right there. I'll sit with the family. He said, Rob, he didn't make it. There was some silence on the phone because I knew right there that this changed the entire process. And, uh, and I said, Clifton, I said, I tell you what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to engage the church. I said, now, if there was ever a time for the church to practice step number two in our model, it's right now. I said, we need the food prepared. We need the cards in the mail. We need the prayers being offered. We need the brethren in the receiving line. We need the flowers ordered. If the church doesn't step up now, we will lose her. She will judge the church by our response. I sent out an all points bulletin to the email. I said, I need every member of the church to respond. Brethren, we went to that uh, receiving line and it was out the door. Members of the Church of Christ piled in there. That family literally had more food than they knew what to do with. They asked us to stop. They said, no more food. They said, we don't even know what to do. They were giving away food. Callie walked away from that funeral knowing one thing, that the church of Christ loves her. And if that message was not received, there would be no Bible study. One of the things we have to understand as a church is that in order for us to plant, in order for us to be effective in our local communities, the community, the people that you the people that you work with, your family, your children, your neighbors, the people you're trying to reach, they must know the church loves them. That will not happen if you sit in your pew. It does not happen here. I, I'm not diminishing the need to sit in the pew. But if we do not activate that love and show the community that love in some way, there is no way on earth we can teach people the gospel of Christ. Everyone knew Jesus loved them. And it didn't take him long to show it. There was a vast difference between Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. They knew Jesus cared. And so Callie, now, Callie knows the church. Let, let me tell you what happened the following Sunday. The following Sunday after that funeral, guess where Callie Hudson sat? In the pew with the Hackett family. She did not miss one service. When some of our members take a six-week hiatus from the church, not Callie. Callie's not missing. She knows where she needs to be. She's sitting there with the saints. She's sitting, and it was difficult. I know it was difficult. And, you know, it was after that that Clifton and I talked, and, and Clifton said, hey, Rob, he says, you know, I don't know if you've thought about this or not, but she's going to ask. And do you have an answer? I said, I don't. I said, I don't have an answer. I don't know how to answer it, Clifton. I have an answer, but I don't know how to do it. And he said, well, Rob, she, I said, Clifton, I've already thought about this. I know she's going to ask. And he said, Clifton said, Rob, what are we going to do? I said, I'll tell you what, I want you to go back to our evangelism table and I want you to grab the book, Muscle and a Shovel, and I want you to give it to her. How many of you have heard of Muscle and a Shovel? Raise your hand. 
I said, that'll buy us some time, Clifton. And while she's reading Muscle and a Shovel, I'm going to investigate. I'm going to, I'm going to dig deep. I'm going to try to find a way that I can present, because she's going to ask me, and I'm going to think about it. And he said, that sounds like a plan, Rob. Sure enough, he grabs Muscle and a Shovel, gives, gives it to Callie. And uh, I said, that will buy us some time, you know. And a couple of days later, he calls me. I said, you know, hey, Clifton, did you give Callie the book? He said, Rob, I did. I said, great. I said, that'll give us a little bit of room here, Clifton. Rob, she's finished. I said, finished? I said, what do you mean she's finished? The book's two inches thick, Clifton. Rob, uh, she read it in, Rob, she couldn't put it down. And Rob, she has so many questions. He said, what are you going to do? I said, we're going to do the Bible study, Clifton. We have to do it. I sat in my office that day and I did something that I, I often do before a Bible study, especially that final study, I did something called role play. And I thought to myself, if I was Callie and the preacher was sitting across the table, what would I ask the preacher? She will ask. Hey, hey, Mr. Rob, can I, can I ask you a question? Sure, Callie, what's going on? Could, could, you, could you tell me a little bit more about my dad? Like, what, what happened to dad? It's coming. And, I, I, and I, I've got to dig deep. And I, I tell you, I went to scripture and I started really, really digging, trying to find a way to help her understand, you know, the judgment of God, because I am not the judge. And that is not, that's not my department. But it doesn't mean it's a question I can ignore. That's, this is really not a question I can defer. This is a question that's going to have to be addressed. And I've got to figure out how to address it in a way that's telling the truth, because I won't compromise the truth but in a way it compels her to obey the gospel. You see, what Satan does with, with life, let me be clear, he is, he's sneaky. He's the father of all lies, John 8 and 44. And he's always firing his darts, 2 Corinthians 2 and 11. And he loves to, he loves to sneak up on people. And he likes to, he loves to deceive. He loves to hurt. And he uses the trials of life as a stumbling block. But when Jesus Christ has an opportunity to use them as a stepping stone, and what you've got to do is understand tonight that every trial you face is an opportunity to get closer to God, not further from Him. Take your Bibles to Hebrews 11. Let me share something with you. Hebrews 11. Now, I want to share a passage of Scripture that, that helped me help Callie. Hebrews 11, and so I'm looking for a way to help her in Hebrews 11. This is a passage I use often with funerals of uh, people I don't know. Sometimes a funeral home director will call, uh, uh, you know, and say, hey, hey, hey minister, would you, would you officiate a, a funeral service? And I don't even know who these people are, but they just want, they don't have a preacher, so they're asking you to do it. And I, I thought about Hebrews 11 because I use this passage all the time by faith. Verse 4, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. By which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts. By it, being dead yet speaketh. Did you know tonight that the dead can speak? Brother, he has been speaking for 6,000 years. And if we would listen to him, there are lessons that Abel is teaching us even today. But we've got to listen. If your grandmother could sit next to you right now, I know what she'd tell you to do. If your mother could sit next to you right now and she could speak to you from the grave, I know exactly what she'd tell you to do. 
If your father could sit next to you right now and just for a brief second, he, I know what he would tell you to do. And, and, and the Bible says, Abel still speaks. His life speaks. I, I want to I ask you a question tonight. What would the dead say? I don't have to guess. I know. Go to Luke 16. I'll show you exactly what they'd say. And I, and I, and I started putting this together and I said, I, I said, I think we're on to something. Luke chapter 16, because here in Luke 16, the, the Bible says in verse number 19, there was, a, there was a certain rich man which was clothed in fine purple. And the Bible says he, 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 was, uh, he was in fine linen and he fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at the gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked the sores. And the Bible says, and it came to pass that the beggar died. He was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom that the rich man also died. And he was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. And he seeth Abraham afar off. And then he began to cry and say, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water for I'm tormented in the flame. And I want you to listen carefully to the word of God. I want you to go to verse 27 and listen to Lazarus. Or listen to the rich man. The rich man said, then I pray thee, therefore, Father Abraham, that thou wouldest send him to my brethren for I have five brethren that they may testify unto them lest they come into this place of torment. And Abraham said unto him, O oh, son, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Nay, nay, Father Abraham, if one would come from the dead, they would repent. I'm asking you tonight, what would the dead tell you to do? I want to know tonight what your, your aunt your grandmother, your mother, if she could come back. I, 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 I kind of notice here that, that the rich man has a certain tune, doesn't he? He's, he's, he's preaching a different tune, Brother Doug. He's not the same man he used to be. And when he looks to his brother, he says, listen, just send me back and let me tell him what the will of God is. I'm telling you tonight that every person has died and got into judgment. If they could come back and speak to us tonight, they'd tell you to do what the Bible says. There isn't one unbeliever in hell. In the judgment day, they will all believe. And every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Everyone will say, do what is right. So, so I know, I, I don't have to know anything about Callie's dad. I don't need to know if he was a righteous man, a wicked man, lost or saved. Here's what I know. I know if he could sit next to Callie during that Bible study, he would tell Callie to do what the Bible says. And I got it. I said, I'm going to take this. And this is a stepping stone to her salvation. I want her to listen clearly to her father. We walked into that final study. We sat down. We opened up the word of God and we just started. Callie got the sin and there's no problem with Callie. She, she, she understands it. She answers every question correctly. We get to faith and Callie's all in. We get to, we get to, uh, we get to uh, uh, hearing the gospel and she's there. We get to uh, repentance and she's there. We get to confession and she's there. And when we get to baptism, we've got a problem. The problem is she understood. Tears filled the corner of her eyes. I could, I could watch it happen. Slow motion. And I can see her tonight. She tucked her head 
she kneeled over on the table and she filled our table with tears and she just sobbed. She shook her head. My wife put her arm around Callie and she comforted Callie and Clifton kind of patted her on the back and I know what she wants to ask me. I know it's coming. She can't, she can't even ask, she can't even talk. The tears are just flowing down out of the table and I, and I know at this time she's trying, to, she's trying to apply everything she's learning and, and, and so I just, I just stopped the study. I said, hey Callie, I said, I, I, said, I, I can understand that this may be difficult to, to hear. I said, I, I think you want to ask me a question, but you, you, you don't have the strength to do it. I said, Callie, I'm going to ask a question. You tell me if it's what you're wanting to know. So I just threw it out there. I said, Callie, you want to know about your dad, don't you? And she picked her head up off that table, looked at me as tears just dripped down into the table. And she said, Mr. Rob, what about my dad? I said, Callie, I said, I thank God that I am not the judge. I thank God that our judge is merciful and I thank God that our judge is righteous and he will do the right thing. I said, but I, but I know you want more than that. So let me walk you through this. I said, Callie, was your dad a good man? And she looked at me and she said, well, of course, Rob, my dad was a good man. I said, well, I, did, I didn't know him. I said, Callie, was he a, was he a religious man? Well, yes, Mr. Rob, my dad believed in God and, and, and she's doing exactly what I hoped she would do. She was thinking about the good things her dad had done. I said, Callie, is your dad an honest man? Well, Mr. Rob, of course he was honest. He was a hardworking man. And, and after I finished all those pleasantries, I just turned it around. And I said, Callie, I've got another question for you. Being a good, religious, honest man, if your dad could stand here before you right now and return from the grave, what would your dad tell you to do? I said, would your dad tell you to do what the Bible says? I just need to know that. And she said, Mr. Rob, my dad would always tell me to do what the Bible says. And I said, Callie, I give you my word. I will ask you to do no more or no less than what the word of God says. And she said, Mr. Rob, I understand. She's Mr. Rob, I need to be baptized. I said, Miss Callie, let's head to the baptistry. As we uh, were heading to the baptistry, something happened. She turned around and she began to walk back. And uh, she sat in the, in the chair once again. Clifton looked at Nicole, Nicole looked at me, I looked at Clifton and we all sat with her. And I said, Miss Callie, can I ask, is everything okay? She said, Mr. Rob, everything's fine, but you know how my brother Chandler has been coming with us. I said, yes. I said, I'm, I'm so thankful. Mr. Rob, I think I'm just going to wait on my brother. The devil doesn't like to give him up. Once the devil gets a hold of you, he will do everything in his power to keep you. He will deceive. He will lie. He will use your emotions against you. He, 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 will, he does not want you to think rationally. He does not want you to rely upon the word of God. He wants you, he wants you to he, he wants you to be guided by any sort but the scriptures. I said, Callie, I said, I wish every brother had a sister like you. She said, what do you mean, Mr. Rob? I said, well, you want your brother to go to heaven? She says, I do. I said, I wish every brother had a sister like you. I said, Callie, I said, you know, someday Chandler's going to obey the gospel. I said, but I, I've, I've got something I want you to think about. You've heard the truth. You, you've learned the truth, right? You know what you need to do, right? And one day your brother's going to hear the truth, learn the truth. He's going to know what he needs to do. Callie, if you're not willing to do it when you've learned the truth, 
I just wonder why your brother would. Callie, you are going to be a first-generation Christian. Someone has got to pave the road. I said, Callie, you can lead your brother to Christ by the example you set far more than the words that you say. Callie, someone has to be the first. And she looked up at me and she just smiled. She said, Mr. Rob, I get it. She says, could I be baptized right now? I said, let's go. And we took her to the baptistry. We baptized her. I, I'm telling you, we rejoiced. This, this was, I, I, I'm going to say we did more praying. This, this Bible study, we did more thinking about this study because I knew that Satan would do everything he could to discourage this young lady. When we got done, we hugged. Uh, the Clarks uh, came up and watched the baptism. They were neighbors, you know, one of the elders. And man, we, we just celebrated together. And right after that baptism, we, we looked at Callie and said, Callie, normally we would start our new converts immediately. I said, but we have got to go to Bible camp. I said, when I get to Bible camp, I said, I'll tell you what, Miss Callie. I said, as soon as it's done, we'll start new convert teaching. It's, it's important, very important. Brethren, it wasn't but a couple hours that had passed my phone rang. And I picked it up and I said, hello? Rob, this is Clifton. I said, hey, Clifton, man, how things going, you know? He said, Rob, it's terrible. I said, what do you mean? He said, Rob, you don't get it. He said, Callie went home. I said, yes. I said, it's an exciting day for Rob, she told mama. Hey, mom. Yeah, honey, I need to tell you something I did today. What's going on? You know, I've been going to that church with, with Clifton. Yeah, and, 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 and I, I've been listening to that preacher, Mr. Rob, and, and, and Mama, uh, uh, Mr. Rob and Miss Nicole did these Bible studies with me. What, what, what Bible studies? Well, well, Clifton and I, we thought we'd sit down and do these studies together, and we started reading the Bible. Mama, I learned some things that I didn't know. What do you mean, what, what do you mean studies, Callie? Well, Mama, I just, I read the Bible, and whatever the Bible said is what I, I, I want to do. And I read this passage. It says, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. And mama, I mean, I was baptized. You were what? I was baptized. Callie, you know we don't believe like that. But mama, it says it in the Bible. He that believes and is baptized. Callie, how dare you go behind my back like that? Mama, I just wanted to do what the Bible said. Callie, how dare you? Callie, you know we weren't, you weren't raised to do things like that. But mama, Callie, how dare you dishonor your father like that? Clifton says, I've never seen as much hurt in all of my life. She curled up into a ball and that was it. The devil doesn't give him up easily, brethren. He will fight for you. He's not fighting in the places of ill repute. He's not fighting in the bars and the liquor stores. He's fighting in the church building because he knows he doesn't have you. And he'll leave the world alone and he'll focus all his energies on the saved. Have you ever thought about the baptism of Jesus? And did you ever notice when Jesus was tempted right after his baptism? He was taken into the wilderness and driven there and there 40 days he was tempted of the devil. The devil loves to take people in the church, especially new converts, and test their salvation. And she's being tested. I knew it. I, when, as soon as that phone call came, I, I processed all this very quickly because I know, I know my enemy. I know his tactics. 
I, I know he's relentless. I know he hates the children of God. And I know he'll use every circumstance he can to steal your soul. And I know it and I will not give up. He's met his match. And I told Clifton, I said, Clifton, I tell you what, I said, there's a plan in scripture for this. I said, God has, God has, God has, God has an answer for this, Clifton. I said, I'll tell you what I need to do. I need, I need to make a phone call. I'll call you right back. And I thought about the plan and it's, it's, it's clearly stated in scripture. So I picked up the phone and I called an elder. And I called an elder because that elder needs to do some shepherding. That elder has, a, has some sheep that needs to hear from the shepherds. And so I called Hugh Wayne Clark and I said, Hugh Wayne, I said, I said here's what happened. To God be the glory for men who serve as elders. Because this is what he told me. He said, Rob, your job is to be at Bible camp and teach the children. My job is to shepherd the flock. I'll take care of this. I can't tell you how comforting that is for a preacher of the gospel. That have elders that do their job. That's what elders do. They protect the flock and they have life wisdom and they know. So I didn't know what he was going to do. And let me tell you what he did. He called up. He called up Clifton. He said, hey, Clifton. He said, Hugh Wayne. Hey, Mr. Hugh Wayne. He said, hey, son, I know what's going on. I need you, I need you to do something and I need you to do it tonight. He said, Miss Joe, right now, we just put the steaks on the grill. She's making a big supper. Clifton, you've got to get Callie in this house tonight. Mr. Hugh Wayne, are you sure that's what we need to do? Son, get her to this house. Mr. Hugh Wayne, if there's any way possible, we'll be there tonight. They walked into that house. Miss Joe had her jalapeno corn and her five alive sweet tea made. And they sat around that table and they began eating together. And they prayed together. But Hugh Wayne looks across that table and he sees Callie's not herself. And he begins to realize there's something off. And uh, so he just says, Miss Callie, he says, are you okay? You, this is a great day for you. And she says, no, Mr. Hugh Wayne, it's not. Mr. Hugh Wayne, I've got to tell you what happened when I went home. And she told him all about how she had tried to tell her mom and the response of her mother. And, and tears are coming out of her eyes. And Hugh Wayne just listens. When Callie's finished, Hugh Wayne said this. Callie, you're, you're hurting. Your mother's hurting. And Callie, I understand why your mother said what she said. You do? I do. Callie, I want to ask you a question about your mom. Does your mom know what you know right now? She says, no, Mr. Hugh Wayne, she does not know this. I said, has anybody taught your mom? She says, no. I said, do you want your mom to come to the kingdom of God? She says, I'll do anything to get my mother to the kingdom of God. And Callie... Be faithful. I said, Callie, if you give up right now, your mother's never going to make it. I said, Callie, I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. But the reason your mother said those things is because she doesn't know what you know. And you can't tell her right now. There's a lot of hurt right now. And Callie, here's what's going to happen because I know your family. I know what's going to happen. Next week, your mother is going to be this much less angry with you. You won't notice. And, and the next month, this much less angry with you. And you'll kind of know. And three months from now, you're going shopping for shoes. And she says, Hugh Wayne, how do you know that? And she says, well, she said, uh, you, you can't stay angry forever, Callie. 
If you'll just do what's right, one day you'll lead your mother to Christ. You know where she was on Sunday morning? Sitting in our pews, worshiping God. She never missed. I noticed uh, Chandler wasn't with her. So I walked up. I said, Callie, I said, where's Chandler? My mom forbid him to ever come back to this church, Mr. Rob. She said, you're never allowed to go to the church of Christ ever again. Mr. Rob, now how are we going? How are you going to teach Clifton uh, Chandler now, Mr. Rob? I said, I'm not, and I never was. I said, now, Callie, back on our evangelism table, there are these three booklets. They're called Back to the Bible. Have you heard of them? It's green, blue, and red. I want you to pick up three copies. Clifton, I want you and Callie to go to Chandler, and I want you to teach him the Word of God. Me, Mr. Mr. Rob, I, I said, you can read, can't you? I said, Callie, you can do it. Oh, a month or two had passed, and uh, I got a phone call Sunday morning, and it was Chandler. I picked it up. I said, hello. He said, Mr. Rob. I said, yes, who's speaking? It's Chandler. Hey, Chandler, what's going on? He said, hey, Mr. Rob. He said, I need to tell you something. What's going on? He said, I've been doing these Bible studies. Mr. Rob, have you heard of Back to the Bible before? Just so happens that I have. Yes. I said, Chandler, I said, what would you, what would you like to? He said, Mr. Rob, I finished. Oh, Mr. Rob, would you baptize me? I said, son, I'll be glad to, but I need to ask you a question. Have you spoken to your mother? No, Mr. Rob, she'll yell at me. I said, Clifton, we don't know that. Chandler, we don't know that. I said, Chandler, I said, there's something bigger happening here. I said, I need you to, I need you to step back just for a minute. And I, I, I want to baptize you, son, but I need you to listen to this. I said, because there's a bigger plan. I said, we want to reach your mother. And so in order for that to happen, you must go talk to your mom. It's respectful. It's never wrong to do the right thing. Son, I want you. But what is she? I said, don't worry about that. We're going to pray about it right now because I believe in the power of prayer. And we're going to pray that she's got a good heart and she listens to you. You think about your words, Chandler, and you tell your mother how much you love her and how much this means to you. Right after Bible class, I looked up and Chandler walked into the building. I went up to him. I said, Chandler, I said, you tell me, son, tell me the good news. He said, Mr. Rob, he says, uh, he said, my mother said I could be baptized. I said, wonderful, son. But not until she gets here, she wants to watch. I said, oh, that's great news, Chandler. Right after the Lord's Supper, she walked right into the back door. She sat down on the back pew and I just got up and and I said, hey, church, I've got something I need to say before we worship anymore this morning. We've got a young man who's come and he wants to be baptized. I said, in 2,000 years ago, Peter was interrupted and he baptized 3,000 people. This morning we were interrupted and we'll baptize one. And we took him at that very hour. And we baptized him into Christ. We're not done. Brethren, you see, when you begin to train a church... When you begin to help a church understand that evangelism is not personal but congregational, when people in that local church begin to realize that they have a part to play in all this, and, and the ladies were sending the cards. You ladies, do, it's incredible when a church loves people, how many people we can convert because we're just getting started. We didn't go from 220 to 300 because we sat in our pews. We did it because we changed who we were. Chandler said, man, I've got, to, I've got to reach out to my friends now. And sure enough, sitting on the left-hand side, right by Chandler was a young man. I walked right up to Chandler. I said, Chandler, who do we got here? He said, hey, Mr. Rob, my name's Marshall Avera. I said, Marshall Avera. I said, hey, there are Avera signs all over the county. He said, yeah, my, my dad's running for sheriff, Mr. Rob. I said, good, I'm voting for him. 
I could care less. I said, I, I, whatever it takes. Uh, and so I said, yes, we're voting for Marshall. I said, Marshall, I said, uh, how long have you been visiting? Uh, well, Mr. Rob, I kind of listened to you a little bit and I, I saw, I heard your Bible. Mr. Rob, I, I like your teaching. I said, well, I said, thank you. And uh, I said, Marshall, I got a question for you. I said, if you taught, uh, excuse me, Chandler, I've got a question for you. Chandler, have you taught Marshall the gospel yet? Me, Mr. Rob? I said, yes. Mr. Rob, I said, it's called Back to the Bible, Chandler. It's right back there on the evangelism table. What I want you to do is grab the green, the blue, and the red, and I want you to go teach Marshall the gospel. You can do that sometimes with younger people. And Marshall said, yeah, I'd love to learn. Are you sure I can do this, Mr. Rob? I said, I'm 100% certain. You don't need me. And then we baptized Marshall. We're not done yet. Because what happens when a church begins to realize that we can reach people with the gospel? What happens when they see the members reaching them, not the preacher? Because your, your, your preacher can't do this by himself. But when the members begin to realize it, I'll tell you what happens. Her name is Belinda. This is the mother. And I got a phone call. Hey, Rob, you'll never guess who just walked into the church building. I said, who is it, Jack? He said, it's Rob, it's, it's Benita. I said, what do you mean, Benita? I said, you mean Chandler's mom? You mean Callie's mom? Yes, Rob, she's in the church building. I said, man, Jack, that's wonderful. He said, Rob, I'll let you know what happens. Chandler had been studying with his mother and he baptized her into Christ for the remission of her sins. Are you sure the gospel won't work in Titusville, Florida? Are you sure it won't work with your coworker? Are you sure it won't work with your neighbor? Brethren, are we sure it just won't work in America? Are we, are we sure we got to get on an airplane and go to India in order to find people to teach? I think not. What I think tonight is that they're everywhere. And I believe within a mile of this church building, if we would start canvassing these communities with the love of the church of Christ, we would find people that need Jesus Christ. Don't you believe that tonight? Because I do. There's a lot of questions that can be asked about. I'm going to, I'm going to skip some of these tonight. And um, what about my religious experience? Someone's going to ask you about that. And it was Sheila Birdwell. She said, she, you know, I was sitting in that Bible study, you know, and one of the first things Sheila said, Rob, I want to tell you all about my religious experience. Y'all remember how I handled that? I said, Sheila, tell me all about it. And I wrote down everything she said. Remember the lightning struck the tree, the tree caught on fire, came over the road and Jesus came down into her heart to be her. And she got the shivers and she just knew, you know, she testified before the church, the church voted on her and she was saved. And then, I, I, you know, she had this long story about her religious experience. And, and uh, she even looked at me during the story and she says, are you laughing at me, Rob? And I said, absolutely not. I don't think there could be a more important, serious moment than right now. Sheila, I'm writing everything you said down. If someone wants to tell you their religious experience, my suggestion is do not challenge their sincerity and do not challenge their integrity. Let them tell you. And when you're finished, study the word of God. Because if there ever is going to be a change in someone's life, it needs to come from this book and not you. Well, that's what we did. She obeyed the gospel. The next, the very next few days, I, I may, may have been the next day, 
And uh, we went over to their house. We were going to start some new convert studies. And Nicole and I walked in the door, sat down. And Sheila looked across the table at me. She says, Rob. I said, yes, Sheila. Got something to tell you. I said, what do you got, Sheila? She said, Rob, do you know, remember that religious experience I told you about? I said, let me see. Yes, the lightning struck the tree. The tree caught on fire, came over the... Rob, she says, yes, that one. She says, Rob, I still believe it happened that way. I said, maybe it did, Sheila. I wasn't there. I said, but I am thankful that you obeyed the gospel. Brethren, when a person becomes a Christian, the Bible uses different words to describe their maturity. And when a person comes right out of the water, when they're a new Christian, what word does the Bible use to describe them? What are they called? Anybody? Babes in Christ. Now, I got a question for the church tonight. How much can you teach an infant? Not much. They are not who you are. They don't know what you know. Don't expect them to dress like you, talk like you, believe like you. Brethren, you need to let the infant grow. You can destroy a new convert if you do not treat them as an infant. We don't give infants meat. We give them milk. A year later, I was sitting around that table with my wife and family, and Sheila looked across, and she said, Hey, Rob, she said, I got something to tell you. I said, What is it, Sheila? She said, I, I, I couldn't sleep last night, Rob. I said, Well, why is that? She said, Well, Rob, she says, I couldn't sleep, and all I kept thinking about was about that religious experience. I said, Well, what do you mean? She said, Rob, she says, I thought a lot about it, Rob. I'm not so sure any of that happened anymore. I don't know where I came up with that crazy story, Rob. I just don't know if that was real or not. <laughs> And when I told her, I said, Sheila, I guess it really doesn't matter anymore, does it? I'm just thankful you obeyed the gospel. What happened then that year? She grew and we let her. We're up there living together. Well, that's Amy and Evan. Well, that's Amy and Evan. And we're sitting, we're, 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 we've just finished the second study. And I, I told Nicole, I said, man, one more study. We're, go, we're going to Calvary. I said, they have got it. I was so excited. And as soon as they walked out the door, I got a phone call from Sheila Birdwell. That's his mother. Hello? Hey, Rob? Yeah, yes, Sheila? Uh, Rob, um, are they still there? I said, yeah, let me. Uh, no, they just walked out the door. Sheila, let me tell you about the study. Now, Rob, Rob, just, Rob, listen to me. I said, yes, Sheila. You know how Evan uh, built, uh, he bought a house in Lafayette. I said, yes. I said, I, I know you're proud of him. Well... Oh, Rob, I raised a boy better than this, Rob. And I said, well, Sheila, just, just tell me. Rob, promise me you won't tell anybody. I said, well, Sheila, what, what are we talking about? Rob, you got to promise that you're not going to tell anybody. I said, Sheila, I said, I need to know. Sheila, are we talking about something illegal here? And she says, no, Rob. She said, but you just got to keep this between us. Oh, Rob, Amy moved in. Rob, they're living together. I said, I said, Sheila, I said, I understand. Well, Rob, I know this isn't good. I said, no, it's not. And she said, Rob, what are you going to do about it? What do you mean? What am I? He's your son. What do you mean? What am I going to do about it? And, um, and uh, so I said, Sheila, I said, okay, hang on just a minute. And uh, Nicole and I, this isn't our first rodeo. We've dealt with this uh, on several occasions. And I'm going to do with Amy and Evan what I do with every person who's in sin, I'm going to study the Bible because the Word of God has power to prick hearts. The Word of God has the power to change lives. 
And it's the word of God that brings a person to repentance. And it's not me. Sheila and uh, we got off the phone with Sheila that night. I think she called me three times that night to remind me not to tell anybody. In any case, uh, and uh, Amy and Evan came back over for the third study. We sit around the table and I got to uh, Acts 2.38. And I said, hey, Amy and Evan, I said, go ahead and tell me the first word. What, what, what's the first thing Peter said that, that you need to do? When they said repent. And I said, well, let's write it in the blank. We've already defined repentance. You know, they're writing in the blank. And I, and I did something a little bit uh, unusual. I just looked at them. I said, oh, I think the study's over. And they said, what? I said, I, th I think we're done. They said, well, what do you mean we're done? Mr. Robin, Mr. Robin says to be baptized. I said, I know, but I think we're done. And, uh, oh, by the way, guys, I, I was thinking about this story of a couple I met a few years ago when I was coaching ball for um, Webster County High School. And as I was coaching ball for the school, uh, I met uh, the, the uh, athletic director. She came out with this, 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 this uh, uh, man, and uh, she walked right into my field, and she said, Coach Whitaker? I said, yes, ma'am. She says, I got a new assistant for you. You got your team's too big. You need more help. And his name's Terry Starks, and he'll be working with you. And I said, well, hey, welcome, Coach. Glad you're here, you know. So Terry and I worked out a really good relationship. But overall, we're on the other side of the field. I know there's a young lady who keeps kind of showing up and she's uh, she's kind of under the now my wife is over there with Hannah and uh, but this young lady and Nicole went to meet her and it's Marlena and and it can't, we can't, it, well, it just so happens that's his girlfriend and so we get to meet Terry and Marlena so we, we start building a friendship because I have one mission I will bring them to Christ they're on my target list and as I got to know Terry and Marlena we got pretty close and one day, Terry said, I need to speak to you in private, Rob. And I said, well, what's going on, Terry? He said, Rob, I'm in trouble. I said, what do you mean? He says, Rob, we have this abstinence-based curriculum here out in Webster County, Kentucky. I said, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, it's such one of the very few in the country. He said, yeah, and I had to sign this paper, this moral clause, Rob. The problem is that Marlena lives with me and no one knows. We're not married. I said, I see the problem. He said, Rob, can you help me? And I said, I said, I just, I know exactly what you need to do. And he said, what do you need to do? I said, you need to come over and eat brisket. He said, brisket? I said, yes. I said, our smoker, you got to come over. Terry, are you sure, Rob? I said, yes, you and Marlena need to come over for brisket. Brethren, every time you got a problem, I'm going to say it again, always eat. You always eat with people. And so we sat him around the table. We started eating. And uh, I said, hey, guys, I said, uh, I'd like to help you. I said, and I just so happened to have these little booklets. I said, would it be okay if we opened the Word of God? And they said it would. And we started our studies. And I'm telling this to, to Evan and Amy. And as we uh, get through study two, study three, uh, Marlena and Terry looked at me, guys, and they said, hey, Rob, we're living together. And I said, Marlena says, and I have no place to live. And Nicole looked at her and he, she said, yes, you do, Marlena. So we have a free room if you need it. We baptized both of them and married them. Today they are faithful members at the Madisonville Church of Christ in Kentucky. Hey, Evan and Amy, I just thought you'd like to know about that story. And by the way, Hannah, bring the cookies. Always eat. And then uh, I said, Amy and Evan, by the way, when you are ready to continue in the study, just let me know. I never put anybody in a corner. I did not accuse Amy. I did not accuse Evan. I parallel the story, and I'm just hoping their hearts are honest. 
and that they love God more than they love each other. If you love your wife more than you love God, you won't make it. If you love your son more than you love God, you will not make it. Because you must love God first. And I'm just hoping and praying she loves God more than she loves Evan. And he loves God more than he loves Amy. It wasn't two weeks later. By the way, they, I got to tell you what happened. This is, they walked out of our house. They got in his Mustang. She looked over at Evan. This is verbatim what she said to Evan. She said, Evan, I think they know about us. The whole county knew about them. Nothing is a secret in a small town. And, uh, and so in any case, two weeks later, she, I get a phone call. She said, hey, Rob, uh, uh, this is Amy. I said, hey, Amy, what's going on? She said, hey, Rob, I can't live like this anymore. I said, live like what? She said, Rob, I just can't do this anymore. Rob, I can't sleep. I said, why? Oh, Rob, I, I moved in with Evan. I said, I know. And she says, Rob, she says, uh, I said, where are you going, Amy? She says, I'm going to live with my grandmother. I said, that's a good choice. She said, Rob, could you meet me at the church building? I said, well, well why? She said, Rob, I need to be baptized and I want to be baptized now. To wash away my sins. I said, I'm on my way. Good, because Evan won't be far behind me. And he, he's been pretty close ever since. May I introduce to you the uh, Birdwell family? Isn't the gospel beautiful? What this nation needs today is not more laws. What our nation needs today is a revival to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have moral problems in our country and they will be solved in the church buildings when preachers preach and brethren love. And we have the courage to tell the truth. Don't ever compromise the word of God for anybody. Just love them and let them know what God wants. Some will be saved. Because of that Bible study done years before, someday Everly and Kyson will get to obey the gospel too. To God be the glory. I've got one more issue I've got to tackle tonight that's going to take me a few minutes. And, I, and it, deals with, uh, it deals with this couple. This is Jimmy and Sharon Fisher. And as I was sitting in the living room and we were getting to know each other, and we haven't even started Bible study at this point. We're just, I'm just trying to generate a, just a relationship with Jimmy and Sharon. And, and, and I told you as, as we develop these relationships, don't be surprised how open people are. And they just divulge their entire life story, usually within about 30 minutes. And, and, and she was giving me her life story. And all of a sudden she said, now Rob, in my first marriage, I have seven principles that I practice and I thank God I do. Because I think the old Rob would have stopped her in her track and I would have performed the Spanish Inquisition and I would have lost him. But I have learned something since my youth. I've learned that if I'll defer the questions and hesitate and I'll just wait a little bit, I've learned something. And what I've learned is this, she's not ready. Because Jesus said it, not because I said it, because he said it. He's looking at his disciples and he wants to teach them some things. And he says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you can't bear them now. That, that's what the Lord said. I didn't make this up. The Lord said it. And so because the Lord said it to his disciples, I wonder if it applies to anybody else. Of course it does. 
You see, if you try to teach someone something they're not ready for, they're just going to get sick. It's going to do more harm than good. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying tonight that, that you don't start with marriage, divorce, and remarriage. That is not where you start. And so I know it's going to take time. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to build my relationship and I'm going to even extend it. And I'm going to do more Bible study. We're going to spend more time. In fact, we did a first study, a second study. Right before the third study, Sharon was having a bad day. And I said, Sharon, what's going on? She says, I'm, I'm behind in school, Robin. I got to get my classroom ready, you know. And I said, I tell you what, don't worry about the study tonight. She said, what do you mean? I said, let's just go to your classroom and set it up. She said, your family would come help me. I said, absolutely. And then our treat will take you to dinner. I can remember we, we drove down to the school. We walked into her classroom and we spent hours trying to help her get her classroom ready. Brother, that's all about helping bring a person to Christ. That's called love and compassion. And if you don't show love and compassion to people, you can't teach them. We got to the final study and I know we're, we're headed. We got to 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. I know you not, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither idolaters. I said, I said oh, uh, neither, uh, excuse me, neither uh, fornicators. I said, Jimmy Fisher, do you know what a fornicator is? He said, yeah. I said, Rob, I, I understand that. He says, yeah. I said, hey, Sharon, the next one says idolaters. Do you know what an idolater is? She says, Rob, I do. And I said, well, okay. I said, uh, uh, Sharon, can you give me an example of an idolater? She said, yeah, those are those people in the jungles that worship gold things. Close enough. I said, yes. I said, that's good, Sharon. Let's go to number three. Sharon and Jimmy, do you, do, do you, know, who, do you know what an adulterer is? And they said, Rob, I think so. I said, well, let's just make sure. I want everybody to do something for me tonight. I learned this from the old preacher. So I'm, gonna, I, I, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel tonight. What I'm going to do is use a, use a, a method of teaching that, I, that was used by the, the old preachers. And, and I'll just be honest, and it's never failed. I've never had it fail. So let's go ahead and write this down. I'm going to have you write down four things in your book. Open your book, last page, and I'm going to have you write down four things. I'm going to put them on the screen because these are things that really, these are, these are tools that, that come from experienced evangelists that have helped me tremendously in my ministry. Here's number one. I, I, I wrote the Matthew 19 verses 3 through 12. I'm going to give you four things. The first one, God is the only one that can make marriage. And I'm going to share with you where I get this from because I, I want to make sure that everything I write comes from Scripture. So here it is, verse 3. The Pharisees came to him as he was teaching, tempting him, and they said unto Jesus, Jesus, uh, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? I want you to listen to Jesus. They're asking him questions. What have we learned about Jesus when it comes to questions? What is he going to do here? He's going to defer the question and ask his own, isn't he? That's exactly what he did. Look at verse 4. Look how consistent he is. And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read? Uh, it's interesting that when Jesus approaches these subjects, he does the same. He just turns it back around on them. He says, Have you not read? I would suggest today, if we're going to discuss the truth on any matter, perhaps we should go to the Word of God. Perhaps we should ask people to read the Scripture. That he that made them in the beginning made them male and female, and for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. 
Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. Now listen to the scripture, what God has joined. Who does the joining? What God has joined. Who, who, who makes a marriage? What God has joined. Let not man put asunder. Who is it that does the joining? God. Brethren, I am not God. I do not create marriage. We can have a ceremony and we can recognize what God recognizes, but I cannot create marriage. And there's something else I want you to write down. Here's the second point that you need to write down. Number two, God, when he makes a marriage, he always follows his law. He doesn't violate his law. And if there is anything the Supreme Court should have taught us recently is that man does not make marriage. It doesn't matter what the court says. It doesn't matter what the judge says. Two men are never going to be married. It doesn't matter what Florida says. It doesn't matter what Texas says. It doesn't matter what California says. The only one that matters when it comes to marriage is the word of God. I wonder if you'll say amen to this. No more can a man take another man at his wife. Can a man go out there and take another woman who's married to another man to be his wife? You can't steal another man's wife. It's just as wrong. Brethren, you, you can't go out there and take another woman that's married to another man as your wife because it's just as right. God doesn't recognize that. He won't recognize two women. He won't recognize two men. He won't recognize two, two men and a dog. He won't recognize three women and two men. And he's not going to recognize a man that steals another man's wife. It's called adultery. And God doesn't recognize it. Well, the judge said, I don't, I'm not really concerned about what the judge says. I'm concerned about the judge of almighty heaven says, because he has, he's the only judge. Now, let me, let me continue our study tonight, I, because I've been using this again for a long time. And I tell you, I, again, I've, I've yet to find a person that gets confused, at least in Bible studies. Notice in Matthew chapter 19, what else it says. And Jesus continues his teaching. Let's go down to verse number nine. Let's make our third point. Only God can dissolve a marriage. And I say unto thee, whosoever puts away his wife, except to be for fornication, and marries another, committeth adultery. And he that marries her that is put away committeth adultery. So point number three is this. Only God can dissolve a marriage. Point number four, God always dissolves a marriage according to his law. God is always going to follow his law. He's not going to follow your law. He's not going to follow man's law. He'll follow his law. And he just gave it. Do you know sometimes when brethren see things like this, because of the serious nature of it, they say things like this. Jesus, if this is the case with a man and a woman, it's not good that any of us get married. You know why they said that? Because marriage was treated with such disdain during their time. And they just heard something that was very restrictive and they, didn't, they just weren't sure. But then Jesus responds with some very encouraging things. He says, number 11, all men cannot receive this saying. All preachers won't preach it. All churches won't enforce it. All schools of preaching won't like it. All elders will not live by it. He says, all men won't receive this. Not everybody's going to teach what I just taught. taught. They will make excuse. And then he says one more thing. And I, I'm, just, I'm just reading these. Uh, I'm preaching tonight, but I was just reading these to Jimmy and Sharon. They had no problem understanding the scripture. You know, some men are made eunuchs from their mother's womb. Do you know some men are born not fully functional? It is a, it's possible. 
Then number two, some men are made eunuchs of men. Uh, one of my elders one time came and said, Rob, I had a, a logging accident in, 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 at work. He said, you know, you were talking about eunuchs last night. He says, I'm a eunuch. I have a sneaky suspicion that the eunuch in Acts 8 may have been in this category. You're not going to be before the queen, fully functional. Now, number three, some are made eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. Maybe there are some of those even tonight. So I just asked uh, Jimmy and Sharon a question. I said, Jimmy and Sharon, I didn't write this. God did. And I just need to know, is your marriage right with God? She looked at me. She said, Rob, my first husband left me for another woman. It doesn't always end that way. I want you to meet Geneva Hill. Because we're studying with her. And she looked across the table at us and she said, Rob, my, she says, my husband's had five wives. I said, five wives. Now, I'm a very optimistic person. So I responded with optimism. I said, Geneva, I'm sure they've all committed adultery. She says, no, Rob, they have not. I went through Matthew chapter 19 with her and she looked at me and she says, Rob, I want you to know something about Geneva. She says, I will go to heaven and I will love my God more than I will ever love a man. And she put him away. Those three girls are Nyla, Nakia, and Naasia. And that is my home. Because when Geneva made that decision, those three girls needed family. You do see the resemblance, don't you? That is my family. She is a faithful child of God. And just last year, we had the privilege of teaching Nyla the gospel of Christ, and we baptized her. And Nyasia is now ready to do the Bible studies. You know, when that rich young ruler came to Jesus, I can't help but think of what Jesus saw as he came and he kneeled down and said, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you got to sell everything you have. You're, you're a covetous man. You got to give it up. You, you, you can't keep it. You got to give it up. And you got to take up your cross and follow me. And I, I can't help but, but picture this in my mind because the Bible gives you a picture. In fact, the Bible says Jesus beheld him and loved him. And then he looked at him because he's going to have to tell him some hard things. And this is what Jesus told him. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor. Take up your cross and follow me. And he looked at Jesus and this is what he told Jesus. He said, Jesus. And he walked away. And when that man walked away, I can't think of how that must have hurt our Lord. And I can't think of how our Lord must have been hurt to the heart to know that that man chose to walk away and keep what he had. And But you know what Jesus did? He let him go. Jesus never apologized for the truth. It takes courage to do a Bible study, brethren. Sometimes people will ask you about the end times. They're going to ask, and I'm just going to suggest when they ask you about the end times, you follow the Great Commission. You teach, baptize, and teach. You don't have to know about the end times to become a Christian. So I just, I just defer that. You, you, you know, most people don't know much about the first coming of Christ, much less the second. 
Maybe we should focus on the first coming and, and let them know what they need to do to be saved. We'll get the second later. Does a person have to know everything there is to know about the second coming to go to heaven? I hope not. The entire church of Thessalonica was confused. They didn't understand. What do you do after they become a Christian? You better have a robust new convert ministry. I'm talking about robust. I mean a plan that not only incorporates congregational teaching, but individual teaching. People ask us all the time. They say, hey, Rob, you baptized all these people, that church you were attending and, and, and all these other churches. I bet most of them aren't faithful. I bet not. You would like me to say most of them fall away because it makes you feel better, at least for some. But I'm telling you tonight that most of them become very faithful. In fact, they're more faithful than some of our members because we will spend a lot of time teaching them and helping them grow. We will not dump them off on the side of the church. Brethren, when they walk in the front door, we lock the back door. We don't let them out. We love them. What if you have only one opportunity to teach? And this is an important tool. You may want to write this one down. Um, it's called Does It Matter? Well, if I only have one, one shot, it's all I got. I'll use Does It Matter? It's the combined form of back to the Bible. I use it for people who are aged. Maybe they have health issues. Maybe it's a campaign issue. Or maybe they grew up in the church. They already know they've just not obeyed the gospel. I'm going to help them cross the finish line. I'm going to use this tool. Let me go to the next one. What if... What if they don't believe in God, the Bible, or Jesus? Write this one down. We're going to use believe the Bible. This is a Bible study designed for people. They don't know God, they don't know the Bible, and they don't know Jesus. You cannot use back to the Bible if they don't believe in the Bible. You've got to have another tool. And I'm not going to give them a book and say, read it. I'm going to do a personal Bible study. And there it is, written very similarly to back to the Bible. Let me close this session and then our ladies are going to dismiss to the fellowship hall and, uh, and uh, we're going to take a very brief break tonight, five minutes and, and I know you, you want, want, to, want to get a quick, quick drink but, but I, I want you to take five minutes tonight and ladies, if you'll go to the fellowship hall and men, if you'll stay right here, we're going to put an action plan together and, uh, but before I get there, I want, to, I want to share something with the church tonight. What would happen in your church? What would happen in your church if you decided we're going to take this, we're going to put an action plan together, and we're going to reach the lost in our neighborhood? In 2020, during COVID, uh, this is when COVID was released. You know, COVID was released in about March of 2020. My family sat in our home in April and May. And prior to April and May, guess how many baptisms were being reported to our school every day? Two, every day. Guess how many baptisms were reported in April and May of that year? Just guess. Zero. When we shut our doors, when the, when the lost needed us more than they had ever needed us before, when our communities were dying prematurely, when people needed the church of Christ, we weren't there. June 1st, 2020. I called Wayne Dalrymple, the elder of the Covington Church of Christ. I said, brother, we're coming. He said, Rob, we're not even open. I said, I said, I'll be there. He said, Rob, he said, this is important. We've got to evangelize during COVID. He said, I'll be there. 50 brethren showed up. From that day forward, we had 370 baptisms. In 2021, we kept going. 
We had 649 baptisms. Those are the actual pictures of the people baptized. In 2022, we kept going. We had 980 baptisms. This year, brethren, in 2023, we are 35% higher than we were last year at the same time. So I'm asking you tonight, can we evangelize Titusville, Florida? To God be the glory. Because he's the, the gospel is the power of God to save. Thank you for listening and being a part of this seminar to this point. At this point, we're going to dismiss five minutes and uh, we're going to go ahead and start our, our separated lesson. And once again, uh, thank you for being here.
those refreshments each evening. And so I, I wish more churches would do that. And someone made a peanut butter pie and it was delicious tonight. And I don't know who that was, but uh, someone here, there he is. That was, no. That was Costco. That was, oh, it was Costco. Well, okay. Well, we'll thank Costco tonight. They did a pretty good job. And it's hard to go wrong with peanut butter and chocolate. That's one thing I know. And um, so very good tonight. Brethren, it was August of 2020 and my family had been crisscrossing the nation. We just, just returned home from a trip to Idaho, passed through Kansas and Nebraska. We were training churches and I looked at my wife and I, I can tell you that my family was just tired. And, uh, and I, I, I looked at my wife and I said, honey, I said, you know, our anniversary is coming up. And I said, um, I said, we need a break. And I said, it just so happens we're going to St. Mary's, Georgia on the 11th of August. That's our anniversary. And I said, honey, I said, why don't we show up a few days early and, and we'll, we'll just celebrate our anniversary and do something to relax. And she says, you know, that sounds really good. I said, honey, I said, I tell you what. She said, what do you have in mind? I said, I've always wanted to go deep sea fishing. And I said, I'm not talking about this in bay stuff. I'm talking about in the ocean. And I said, I said, why don't we go show up early and go deep sea fishing? And she said, you know, that sounds like a good idea. Man, I got a wife, don't I? And, um, and I said, yeah. I said, uh, so uh, let me call Art Wilson and let, let's the preacher. Let me, let, me, let me ask if he knows any charters to, that we can take. So I called Art and I said, hey, Art, uh, we're going to come in a few days early and I want a charter. And I said, I know this is late notice. And I said, but uh, is there any way we get a charter? Do you know any captain that we could charter a boat and go out deep sea fishing? He said, man, Rob, he said, in any year, if you call this late in the season, there is no way you get a charter. He said, Rob, this is the deep sea fishing capital of the world. He said, we, we have some of the best fishing off our coast. He said, there's a guy. There's a charter here and he is very good at what he does. And he said, he's usually booked up about a year in advance, but COVID is set, Rob. He said, really those captains aren't, they don't have many customers. I'll give you his phone number, you call him. So I called this charter and I said, hey captain, my name's Rob. I got a family of five. I said, we'd like to charter a boat and go deep sea fishing. He said, son, he said, this late in the season, I'd never have an opening. He said, but it's COVID and I've got nobody. He said, you got a boat. And I said, Captain, that's great. I said, I'm so excited. I, I, I want the big stuff, Captain. He said, son, you, you came to the right guy. He said, I've got a big old boat. And he said, anyway, I said, Captain, I said, what time should I be out there? He said, about three o'clock. I said, Captain, I said, that doesn't give us a lot of time to catch fish. He said, oh no, son, that's three in the morning. And I said, three in the morning. Then I said, how am I going to explain this to my wife? And I said, okay. I said, three in the morning. I said, sir, when I get out there at three o'clock in the morning, how am I going to know it's you? He says, I'll be the only one there. I said, well, I said, okay. I said, uh, so we got out there. By the way, I snuck it in. Yeah, I said, now, honey, about, we're going to get up about two o'clock this morning. And we're going to, two o'clock. And I said, yes, we got to get the big stuff, honey. And so we got out there, you know, and he, 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 he lined, he's got this beautiful boat, you know, and, uh, he, he says, this is my first mate. He just got out of the Navy. And that first mate, he hung on every word of that captain, right? And so, so we're, we're talking a little bit. He's going over a few safety uh, protocol, puts us in the boat. He said, oh, by the way, son, what is it do you want again? I said, I want the big stuff. He says, son, it's going to take a while to get out there. I said, it's okay. I, I've, got, I've got time. He said, all right, just hunker down. So he, he, I could see the, I could see the, uh, you know, I could, I could see the, uh, the, the driver. I could see the captain of the boat. I could see his instrumentation and it was all lit up 
And it really looked like he had something special, but I couldn't make it out. But anyway, he throttles it down after we cleared the no wake zone. You know, we, we head out. We're heading out. And after about 30 minutes, I just dozed off. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm sleeping. I, I slept for hours. Sun started to come over the horizon. He throttles it back. He said, all right. And uh, he says, uh, we're here. And he's got this equipment. I'm looking at it. He's got Lorand GPS navigation, fish finders with screens. I, I, I've never seen equipment like this. Again, I'm, I'm a pilot and I, I see instrumentation and I'm looking at his boat and it's decked out and this thing is spotless and everything's got a place and he's got equipment everywhere and he's got, he, he's got to set up it per perfectly. And that first mate responds at every word of that captain. He said, all right, first mate, we're going to catch our bait. He said, give them their poles. He had it all lined up. We each got our pole. We put them in and he's, He's moving the boat around a little bit. He's got this equipment off. He said, there it is, there it is. First mate, about two o'clock. So he turns the boat a little bit. He said, all right, five, four, three, two, one. There it is. He said, pull him up. And I start pulling my, I start pulling my line in and all over my line were bait fish. We all had bait fish on our line. I've never seen anything like that. I said, Captain, how, how did you do that? He said, ah. He says, uh, it's, it's, he says, I know where the fish are. I said, wow. I, so he said, put your fish in the live well. So we're putting it in the live well, you know. And then all of a sudden I said, he said, no, son, what kind of fish are you looking for? I said, just anything big. He said, well, I know a spot. About 45 more minutes, y'all just hunker down. So we hunker down again, you know, and we're going out, to, we're going out there and, and we get out there, you know, and, and all of a sudden he throttles back and he, he, looks at, he looks at all of us. He says, all right, uh, who's going to go first? I will. He says, all right, son. He says, uh. First mate, buckle him in. Buckle me in? He said, he puts a vest on me. It's got, he's got, it's got attachments. The pole is as thick as my arm. I'm looking at this thing and I'm saying, what kind of fish am I looking for? He said, son, you'll know it. And uh, sure enough, we, we, put the, we put the bait fish on the line. We, we throw it out there, you know. He's got all this equipment again. He's got, it's, it's, it's unreal, the equipment this man has got. He's looking at all of it. He, find, he said, there it is. He said, I, I think we're coming. Up. There it is. There, there's what we're looking for. He said, first mate, about five o'clock is where you're looking at. And so sure enough, the line's out there. He said, he about 150 yards first mate or 100 yards or something. I, I can't remember that. He called out a distance. And all of a sudden my pole went zzzz. He said, there it is. I, I, he said, all right, here we go. We jerked it back a little bit. You know, it took the line. He just, it just, it just, the line just flew out of my, of my rod. And uh, the, the wheel's turning, you know, and, and he's watching. He said, don't fight it. Just let it go. Let it go, you know. And all of a sudden it stopped and we clicked. He said, that's going to be a bobbing motion and you're going to bob back and forth. And he's guiding, he, he's, he's, his arms are like this right around me. And he said, we're just going to pull it in. So it's coming in, you know, and it took me, it took me a good little while. And I, I, I got a lot of line out there and I'm, I'm coming in. It's way out there. And I said, first, I said, Captain, what do I got? He says, ah, he says, uh, I think it's a kingfish, son. I said, uh, is, 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 is a kingfish big? He said, there's a reason they call it a kingfish. And I said, man, that's a huge fish, you know. I've never seen a fish that big. And we're pulling that thing in, you know, and here it comes, and here it comes, and we're getting, he, he lowers the back of the boat. He's got this, this, this hook. He pull, he, he, he's about to hook the fish, right? And as soon as that fish is getting close to the back of the bow of the boat, out of the corner of my eye, another fish flies, flies out of the water, comes down on my fish, and slices it in half. Captain, what happened to my fish? He said, ah, oh, son, that's called a barracuda. There's a reason we call those barracudas. I still had a fish this big. It was incredible the size of fish we caught that day. 
By two o'clock that afternoon, we had our limit and we went in. Brother, that captain knew his trade. He knew it forward and backwards. He spared no expense. He had everything he needed to succeed. Nothing distracted him from his mission. When it came to catching fish, he's the top of the list. This man got the best technology. He got the best equipment. He got the best help. He got all the tools he could need. He had his strategy lined out. And when it came to fishing for those fish, he was good. I'm afraid we have men sitting in our pews tonight. You're more motivated. You're more qualified. Brethren, you're, 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 you get more excited about going out there and catching the fish than we are fishing for men. We, we got men out in our audience. And I, if you're like, if you like we are in Alabama, you, 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 got your hunt, you got your hunting land set up. You're, you're sewing it, right? You got your, your cameras. You don't got just any camera. You got the Wi-Fi cameras. And we, we sit there in our office. We know when the big buck comes. We know when the deer comes. We got our corn feeders out there, automatic feeders. Man, we, 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 we spend money on our camouflage. We spend money on our four-wheelers. We, we spend money on our guns. We spend money on our lease. We don't complain when we got to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm going to talk to you tonight as men. Men who need to stand in the gap. Brethren, we are in a war for souls. And as passionate as we are about the deer, as passionate as we are about our hunting leases, and as passionate as we are about going fishing, I'm asking you tonight to be passionate for your neighbor to be passionate for your friends, to be passionate for your family, because the only way we're going to win them to Christ is to spend as much time or more, as much energy, and yes, even from our own pocketbooks, our resources to reach the lost or we won't reach them. I just want to warn you tonight that I'm not going to treat you like ladies. In this lesson, I will treat you like men, men who should lead the church Men who should lead their families. Men who should lead the community. Men who need to rise from the pews and reach the lost. We need men in the church to put away their toys and to rise from our pews. It was 19, about 38, 39. And I got to tell you about uh, what happened in Europe there was a man by the name of Adolf Hitler. He was growing his fascist army and he was ravaging the land. He was taking one nation after another, one country after another. His, 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 his air force, his, his military was growing by leaps and bounds as he was placing people into service and countries were beginning to take notice that he was aggressive. And he had a posture of war. And uh, the, the British people realized that there, they, they, there was a problem that was on the horizon. And, and, and Neville Chamberlain decided the best thing he could do in order to keep his nation free was to come to terms with peace with Adolf Hitler. Many around the world begged him not to. They said, don't, don't, don't sign a peace treaty with Adolf Hitler. He'll break it. Neville Chamberlain was an appeaser. And so he decided to sign the peace treaty. While the ink was still wet on the paper, he broke it. There was a man in the British government. He was a longtime politician. 
His name was Winston Churchill. And he knew that his country had to prepare for war. He knew that if, if they didn't take a stand, he knew if the people didn't rally, he knew if they continued down the path of appeasement, Adolf Hitler was not only going to take Europe, but they're coming for us. And so he made one of the most historic speeches in world history. And in that speech, this was one of his lines. He who fails to plan is planning to fail. My fellow countrymen, we have no plan. Brother, I'm afraid in our churches, we're going to lose this war if we don't create a plan. We cannot expect the church to grow if we don't create an action plan for our members. We will not grow in our communities if we do not strategize. What I want to do tonight is just throw out a few points, just, just give you a couple things to think about, things that would help your church. And then I'm going to, I'm going to really look and fine tune it when I meet with your elders and a few others tonight. But I want to just, I want to introduce to you what we, we call the 10 step plan. And I'm going to go over it point by point because these are fundamental and they, and they cross the, the, they cross the, 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 the great divide. And it doesn't mean if we're talking about a company, a business, a small business, a sports team, it doesn't matter. The church, these are things you must do to succeed. What's the first thing you need to do? You got to have the equipment. Brethren, if you don't have the equipment, if we don't have Bibles, if we don't have Bible study material, if we don't have the materials that we need to reach people who don't believe in God, who don't believe in the Bible, I'm not sure if you're aware of it or not, but our communities have an ever-growing populace of people who don't even believe in the Bible. How in the world are we going to reach them? We have an ever-growing population that doesn't even know who Jesus is. What are we going to use to reach them? I find that in our churches... When it comes to our coffee, we're very prepared. We've got our coffee pots, our coffee creamer, our coffee stirs, our coffee cups, our coffee creamer, our coffee grinds. We've got everything we need to make our coffee. And we're going to make sure that we've got coffee. And if we were to, heaven forbid, run out of coffee creamer, we're going to make sure we replace it. In fact, we might even appoint a deacon over it. I want to know where the evangelism materials are. Where's the equipment for your members? Where are the tools that our members need to reach the lost? If a member comes up and says, hey, I need to, I've got a friend and I want to teach them the gospel, what do we do? Where's the equipment? I mean, we've, we've got tables and chairs, forks, knives and spoons and refrigerators and freezers and we've got, we've got everything we need to open a soup kitchen. I'm wondering tonight, where's our equipment? Brethren, we're not the soup kitchen. Our job is to teach the gospel. We need to equip our brethren with the tools to do the job. And so there are a lot of tools that evangelists need. And if a church is going to practice congregational evangelism, we got to, how many of us go to work and we don't get the equipment? Every successful company provides their employees with the equipment to succeed. We must equip our people. Number two. We've got to place the equipment where they can reach it. We can't hide it in an elder's office. We can't lock it in a filing cabinet. Brethren, we've got to give it to them. We've got to put it out there where they can reach it. And so we need to put our evangelism materials in a highly visible place. We need to create evangelism centers 
not back in some room. Put it in the foyer and make sure every member knows that that is for you. You take what you need. If you need a tool, we're going to provide it. We're not going to question it. If you've got somebody you're trying to reach, we've got the tools. It's called an evangelism table. And every church of Christ needs to have one. I'm not talking about your track rack. Brethren, do you know how successful tracks are bringing people to Christ? I'm not opposed to tracks. I think they have a place. But when it comes to trying to reach the lost with a track, you're talking about single digit results. One percent. You talk about a personal Bible study, you're talking 90 percent. We've got to get our people the things that actually work. We've got to make sure they have the tools. I walked into a church. I got, I got to tell you guys a story. I walked into a church and, uh, and I was early and, and an elder was sitting there. We were talking. I said, brother, could we role play for just a minute? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, I want to be a member. He said, okay. I said, well, I want you to be an elder. And I said, I want to ask you a question. I got a neighbor across the street and I've been wanting to do a Bible study with him. Do you have some materials for me to do a Bible study? He said, preacher, he says, we were prepared for you, follow me. And so sure enough, I followed him down a long hallway. We were turning on the lights. We continued to go down the hallway. When I got to the end of the hallway on the right-hand side, he tried to unlock the door. Of course, it was locked and he got out the ring of keys. And we went through all the keys. We finally found the key. We got into the room. He said, preacher, they're in here. I said, well, where are they? He said, well, back here in the locker. Of course, it was locked. Don't worry. We had the ring of keys the second time. We went through all the keys. We, got, we opened up the locker. He pulls out a stack of back to the Bible. He said, preacher, I told you we were ready for you. I said, brother, why are the tools that your members need to teach people the gospel of Christ locked in a room and locked in a locker Quote, we were afraid they might get them. Brethren, isn't that the point? Don't we want them to get them? Why are they locked in a room? Put the materials out on a table and let the brethren take all they can. We want to encourage them to get them. If brethren cannot access Bible study material, they won't do the study. They're not going to go to Matt's office. It needs to be accessible. David told me, Rob, after you did your seminar, he said, I put all those materials, you know, out on the table, just like you said. He said, Rob, it's not hard. He said, you left us a training sheet. I just followed the sheet. I set it up. I put the stuff out there. And man, I was excited. I was waiting for Sunday. He said, I came back the next day. He said, Rob, do you know what happened? It was gone. I said, what do you mean it was gone? He said, all the material was gone. I said, David, that's wonderful. The brethren were hungry. He says, oh, <laughs> Rob, you're, <laughs> you're so optimistic. He said, Rob, that's not what happened. He says, and I, I set it up again. I had enough material to do a second round. So I put it on the table again and I put, the, I put a little tablecloth out and I came back the next day and it was gone. I said, David, where is the evangelism material going? He said, well, I thought I had a suspicion. I called one of the leaders. I said, brother, I said, I've set this table up. We're supposed to do this for the brethren. He said, yes, you mean that gaudy table? What do you mean? He said, well, one of the ladies saw it. They said it didn't match the decor. You know, when we built this $3 million facility, we signed a, you know, agreement that we'd always match the decor and, and nothing goes into the hallway without it being authorized. And that wasn't authorized. And the ladies are complaining. And so because it doesn't match the decor, we put it in the coat closet. The, 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 the coat closet? Yes, we got a big coat closet off to the side. We, we made it extra large. There's plenty of room in the coat closet for it. He said, Rob, at that very point, 
He said, I was on a razor's edge, but I decided to defer to my leaders. And I got into the pulpit that Sunday night and I preached on the materials in the coat closet. And I told the brethren all about the materials that we had and we were ready to begin our, our evangelism work. And I, I stood by the coat closet that night. I said, brethren, go get them. They're there. Take all you need. He said, Rob, do you know of the 200 people that were there that, that night? Guess how many people walked into the coat closet and retrieved them? Nobody. Brethren, if we can't put evangelism materials in our four years because it doesn't match the decor, I've got a suggestion for us. Sell the building and go home. This is not the Rotary Club. This is not home design. This is the church of Christ. And if we cannot equip our people with the equipment to go out and do Bible studies, perhaps we're at the wrong place. Number three, we got to train them. I'm going to ask you guys some personal questions tonight. I'm going to treat you like men tonight because I think you want that. I'm going to ask you some questions. Number one, here it is. How many of you have ever been to a training class for your job? Raise your hand. Just about every man raised their hand. How many of you have to go to training multiple times a year? How many of you have ever been to another city for that training? Raise your hand. How many of you have been put on an airplane and flown to another location for that? Brethren, when it comes to training, let me be very clear. Walmart's going to make sure you're trained. Hallmark is going to make sure you're trained. And let me be more clear. Nissan isn't going to train you here. When you get into management, they're going to fly you to Tokyo and they're going to train you in Tokyo. And we're going to make sure that everybody's trained. Matt, you told me today you're a second generation Christian. You said you grew up in the church of Christ. I'm going to ask you a question, Matt. How many times can you remember the church of Christ training you how to reach the lost in a training class? Not a sermon. Same answer. I grew up in the church and I cannot remember one time when an elder or a preacher or a brethren say, listen, we're going to have some training classes and we're going to train you how to knock a door. We're going to train you on what to say and what not to say. We're going to train you how to greet new movers. We're going to train you how to greet visitors. We're going to train you how to deliver a new mover basket. We're going to train you how to use back to the Bible. We're going to train you. We're going to train you how to create a target list. We're going to train you how to use believe the Bible. We're going to. Brethren, I can't remember one time. What would happen at NASA if you didn't get training? What would happen at Boeing if you didn't get training? What would happen at SpaceX if you didn't get training? What would happen as, a technical, as, 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 as technical and important as those jobs are? May I submit to you that the job of gospel preaching is more important because there are souls at stake. And I'm going to ask you tonight to train the church. Brethren, if this is all you do, this entire effort will fall flat if you do not train this church. One of the things that we're suggesting churches do, and those that do it, it's a remarkable turnaround. Because when you start training your members what to do when visitors walk in the door, when you start training your members what to do with people who move into your community, when you start training your members how to use tools like this, the turnaround is, it's incredible. It's just like your job. Efficiency goes up. 
you start seeing growth among the membership because now they realize that I have a job to do and I can do it. We have to train. We have got to train our churches. We have spent a lot of time. I, I can't tell you how many hundreds of hours, if not thousands of hours, have been spent developing training material for churches. Videos to help members learn how to do this. You will not succeed if you do not train your church. Number four, you've got to promote an evangelistic atmosphere throughout your whole church. Everything you do becomes evangelistic. I'm going to give you two examples tonight. Example number one, because if you don't make evangelism the culture of every activity you do, if you don't make it permeate through everything that you touch, from vacation Bible school to teacher's appreciation banquets to backpack drives, there's no difference between you and the Lions Club. A year ago, I was, uh, I was uh, asked by the uh, Carnes Church of Christ, pretty large church, 450 members. Steve Higginbotham's the preacher. We were coming to do a campaign. We were doing all the training and then some. And Brother Higginbotham and, and the eldership there, they said, hey, Rob, we, we're thinking about doing a backpack drive. And I said, that sounds like a great idea. And they said, Rob, do you think you could incorporate that into your teaching? I said, absolutely. And so I got there and they said, Rob, this is the deacon we put in charge of our backpack drive. And they said, these are all the supplies that we have collected. I mean, that church responded. I mean, people were bringing pencils, pens, map pencils, crayons, colors. I mean, it was incredible the amount, you know, the, the donations that were being made. People felt pretty good about it, you know. I said, what are your plans with this? And they said, we're going to take it out to the awning and we're going to, we're going to form a line and we're going to pass them out and see how many we can pass out. The record's 346. And they said, we're going to put a little information about the church inside. Uh, and they said, Rob, do you, do you have another suggestion? I said, well, I said, um, if it was me, I said, I'd put your backpacks in the classrooms. And I'd have your teachers here. And I'd have every member of your congregation in the foyer. And what I would do is have an open house. And I'd require people to actually park their cars and walk in your church building. And I'd require the people to go to the classroom where their children would actually attend. I would introduce that child to their teacher. I'd let them interact a little bit and I would get to know them. I would tour them around your church building and let them know what kind of church you are. And then I would go to the fellowship hall and I'd feed them. And after I fed them, I'd get their contact information and then I'd go to the next one. Rob, we couldn't get 346 like that. I said, how many of those 346 came to church? Zero. Do you know what happened when we did it that way? We had a Bible study the day we did it, and the next day they had dozens of people in their church building. I thought, well, maybe this is just, you know, I'm not going to just use anecdotal evidence. So I said, let's try it again. So we went across the other side of the country and went to another church, and we did the same thing. We had 20 people from the backpack drive in the pews on Sunday. Brethren, Throwing backpacks into cars is not evangelism. But if you don't organize and if you expect your preacher to do this all by himself, it won't happen. The only way this happens is we organize and we engage our members and we train them what to do and what to say. How many of you have been to open house at school with your children? Is, is, could we have an open house in this church? Could we walk people through our church building and show them classrooms and introduce them to teachers and introduce them to elders and introduce them to preachers and, and walk them through and let them see that this isn't a scary place. And we don't bite. Let me give you a second example. We've got to promote evangelism throughout the entire work of the church. Hello? 
Yeah, this is Matt. Yes, sir, we, we, we offer benevolence, absolutely. Yes, sir, we help with phone bills, no problem. Yes, sir, we help with car maintenance. Yes, sir, we help with electric bills. Yes, with gas bills too. Yes, we do. We help with automobiles. Yes, sir. Yes, we help with rent. Oh, we've got plenty of food. It doesn't matter to me what they ask. I'm going to say yes. They're going to get excited. Man, I've been looking for this church. It's about time I find a church that cares about people. Preacher, where is your church located? Well, we're located over here on Broadway, and, and uh, we'd love to have you North Boulevard come on over. And uh, preacher, when can I come? I need the help. Oh, we offer that every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock, and we can't wait to meet you. Sunday morning at 9 o'clock? Preacher, I, I can't get up that. that that's just, I, I just can't make it at night. That's no, no problem. We do it at 10 o'clock again. Oh, preacher, that at 10 o'clock, I just don't, no worry, sir. Listen, we've got many opportunities. We do it at 6 o'clock every Sunday. Oh, sir, I just can't come on Sunday. Sundays are just not good days for me. Don't worry, because on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, we do it again, and we can't wait to meet you. Oh, sir, I don't have a car. Don't worry, because we have plenty of men who are volunteered to pick you up and take you to church. Let me tell you what's going to happen. All the charlatans out there that are trying to take you for a ride, they're not coming. But every sincere seeker is going to come to this church building. And what would I'm just going to speculate. What would happen if that sincere seeker would walk in the door with her children and she would identify herself as, as you know, as, as Pat Smith and, and Pat is called and she's needed a little bit of help and, and you identify her immediately. And maybe you looked at Doug and you, hey, Doug, would you and your wife take Pat and uh, would you take her to room 101 and conduct a Bible study? Is it scriptural to have a Bible study during Bible class, everybody? Is that scriptural? You, you think it's okay that we study the Bible during Bible class because that's exactly what we're proposing. We're proposing that you bring them to the church building, you take them to room 101, you conduct a Bible study, and after that Bible study, you ask this question. Now, what is it that we can do to help you? I don't know about how you feel about it, Brother Williams, but I'm much more likely to help somebody with their rent after they conducted a Bible study. I didn't tell you how much, but I'll help you. Do you know you're baptized people? You're going to find sincere seekers. You're going to find people who at first were just looking for loaves and fishes. But the more they listen to you, the more they begin to understand the love that this church has, the more they begin investing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you'll save a few. All you need is a few. In fact, may I submit to you to not your only promised a few. It's biblical. There's a reason Jesus fed the 5,000. It wasn't to solve world poverty. Jesus fed the 5,000 because you can't, you can't teach people on an empty stomach. Brethren, what if there's only really one work of the church? May I submit to you tonight that everything we do is about saving souls and we're benevolent to save souls, we're, we edify to save souls, and we're evangelistic to save souls. It's all about saving souls. Everything we do is about bringing people to Christ. Did not Jesus say the poor will always be with you? Is that not true? We're not going to solve world poverty here at Titusville. It's not going to happen. You're not the soup kitchen. You are the church of Christ. And we can help people come to Jesus. Every church I know of just about has something that they're offering. 
And the problem is, at the end of the day, when we ask this question, how many baptisms have you had from your backpack drive? None. How many baptisms have you had from your benevolent building? None. How many, back, how many baptisms have we had from our blessing box? None. If you'll take the approach I just taught you, you'll baptize. It's almost guaranteed. Just ask him. She walked in the building. Nicole and I sat with her. And uh, after services, I said, hey, Kim, I said, uh, would it be okay if we took you home? Uh, Miss Deb Rice uh, said that you needed a ride. She said, yeah, well, you, you, take, you take me home. And so uh, I said, well, Kim, I understand you might need something. She said, yeah, I needed a little food. And so sure enough, we... Uh, we um, took her to the store, we got her a little food, and we took her over to her apartment, and we noticed that her apartment was mold infested. And I told Kim, I said, Kim, I said, you got a problem with this apartment. And she said, what's wrong? I said, you got mold everywhere. She said, well, I've kind of been sick since I've moved in. I said, Kim, can we help you? She said, well, I don't know what to do. Well, two weeks later, we solved the problem. They had a brand new apartment ready for her. And she said, well, Rob, I, I just, I, I, I'm back. I can't move. I said, no worries. We got plenty of men in this church that can move you. We, we called the men. We said, hey, men, we need your help. We need to help Miss Kim. We moved her to her next apartment. My wife and I are sitting in the living room with Miss Kim. I look over at Miss Kim and I've got three questions. I always have three questions. Are y'all ready for my questions? Because I ask the same ones every time. Number one, Kim, what do you think about the Jacksonville Church of Christ? Oh, I love it. That's a really nice church, Rob. I never ask questions I don't know the answers to. Question number two, Kim, do you know a lot about the Jacksonville Church of Christ? Oh, I don't, don't know a lot about y'all. I never ask questions I don't know the answers to. Question number three, Kim, would you like to know more about the Jacksonville Church? Oh, yeah, I'd like to know more. I just so happen to have these little booklets. What do you think happened when we finished the booklets? You can meet her on Sunday morning at the Jacksonville Church of Christ. You gotta produce contacts. Brethren, you must. Let me repeat, you must produce contacts. This is, this, this is not optional. If you do not produce contacts, you will go nowhere with your evangelism work. You must reach out to the community. You need many. You don't need a few, you need many. The only way you get the few is to reach out to the many. If you start with the few, you get none. If you start with the many, you get a few. It's, it's, it's mathematical and it's also biblical. Jesus said in Matthew 22 and 14, many are called and few are chosen and almost none of our churches understand that. Because a lot of our churches, they say, well, we got a few prospects. A few prospects won't do it. You got to have many prospects because the only way you get the few is to go to the many. I didn't write it, Jesus did. In Matthew 7 and 14, the Bible says, narrow is a way that leads to life and few there be that find it. The only way we get to the many is to go to the few. Or get, get the few is to go to the many. It's essential that we do that, brethren. You're, you're saying, preacher, I, I agree with you. You, you, gotta, you gotta get to people. How do we do that? I'm gonna save my best for your elders tonight and your preachers. I'm gonna save the best one I got for them. But I'm going to go through five or six of them very quickly. In the business community, there's something called brand awareness. And what that means is that your company will not succeed if people don't know you exist. So whatever it is, people need to identify what you do with what, who they are. So whether it's when people hear, when people see the X, the SpaceX, they identify it. They know what that means. 
When people see blue, is a blue horizon, is that right, Matt? Blue, am I saying that correct? They know what that means. When they see NASA, they know what it means. When they see Coca-Cola, they know what it means. It's called brand awareness. When they hear North Boulevard Church of Christ, what does it mean? David Shannon is the president of Freed Hardman. He, him and I were, at one time we were associates uh, down up in Willette. He was down in Mount Juliet and he's a soul winner. I'm a soul winner and we compare notes. I like to learn from people. David, tell me something you've learned. He said, Rob, uh, he said, I, I wanted to know if anybody in our community knew about the Mount Juliet Church of Christ. Now, it's hard to miss the Mount Juliet Church of Christ. It's huge. It's got a big old steeple right off the road. I said, okay. He said, one day we decided to dispatch our members on a, in a morning and we had one question for them. And it was, what do you think about the Mount Juliet Church of Christ? That was the question. And he said, we, we, we sent them into the community right around the church building. He said, Rob, we were shocked by the answers. Yes. Hey, my name is David, my, my wife, and, and we're from Mount Juliet Church of Christ. And we'd like to ask you a question. Uh, what do you think of the Mount Juliet Church of Christ? The Mount Juliet what? Uh, the Mount Juliet Church of Christ. Where? Uh, the steeple that's in your backyard. Oh, is that who you are? He said, what we found, Rob, is that most of the people within just a mile of our church building had no idea we were even there. I will guarantee you tonight, if the people in your community do not know you're here, they're not coming. Oh, but we've got a sign. You can drive by that sign for 30 years and still not know you're here. Brethren, so we've got to get to their homes. We've got to get in their homes. We've got to, we've got to create brand awareness. There it is. An eight-page color magazine for 37 cents printed and mailed. And we're going to mail it to our local community and let them know we're here. If you don't advertise, you don't survive. If people don't know you're here, you don't make it. Brethren, you've got to advertise your presence. People need to know that you're in their community. If they don't know you're here, I guarantee they're not coming. Put your, we're going to put your Facebook page, your website, the name of your church, the name of your preacher, the name of your elders, and a working phone number. Meaning that we need the phone number of you. I don't need an empty office. Because people will give you one shot when they call that number. And if you don't answer, they're going to the next church. And then we're going to, we're going to do something else. We're going we're gonna to offer services that actually bring people to the building. You say, preacher, what will bring people? Here, let me give you one that's almost a guarantee. Free transportation to the services. How about if we said to the community, if you don't have a car, we'll come pick you up. Are there any men in this church that would pick somebody up to come to church? Anybody? Thank God. Everybody raised their hand and said, I'll do it. If you advertise that, you know, everybody says, I'll do it, but nobody knows it. No one in the community knows you'll pick them up. But if you advertise it, I'll give you five of them. Brother, we study this. We study this constantly. We know if you'll put certain things on there, people will respond. I looked over my shoulders and I saw a lady sitting in the back left-hand side of the pew. And I, I thought it was a visitor, but sometimes I can't tell because I'm on the road so often. And Alan Webster had finished his sermon. He walked down the aisle. I, I, I walked right behind him and I said, hey, Alan, who is that? He said, man, Rob, I think that's a visitor. 
I said, yes. I said, so I moved in right behind her. And I moved in right behind her, sat down for the closing prayer. She stood up. I stood up and she looked at me. I said, hey, my name's Rob. What's your name? Oh, my name's Ellen. Hey, Ellen, you visiting this morning? She says, I am. I said, we're so glad you're here. Do you live in the local community? I do. I said, are you by yourself? Well, my husband was with me, but he had to go home because he was sick. And I took him home and I came back. I said, well, Ellen, I'm glad you're here. I said, did you like our service today? She said, I did. I said, well, what'd you like about it? He said, that preacher of yours, he sure does love the Bible. I said, yeah, Ellen loves the Bible. <laughs> and I said, uh, I said, Ellen, I, I would like to meet your husband. She says, well, you know what? I'm going to. Do you guys have an evening service? Glad we weren't closed. And I said, yes, we do. And I said, it's at uh, uh, six o'clock. She says, I'm coming. So sure enough, she, she came back. She brought her husband. They sat down in the pew. My wife and I sat right there with them. We got to know them. We got to learn a little bit more about them. At the end of the lesson, I said, hey, Ellen and Perry, I said, uh, we got a little custom here at this church. And they said, what is it? I said, we always take visitors out to eat. And I said, Perry, what's your favorite restaurant? He said, Afina's. I said, woo. Athena's. I said, that's really nice. I said, Perry, that's good food. I said, I'll tell you what, would you like to go to Athena's tonight? I said, we'll treat. Really? I said, sure, no problem. He said, man, Rob. He said, Rob, my stomach's a little queer. If I'm going to Athena's, I want to eat. Can we do that Tuesday night? I said, absolutely, I'll make the reservations. So I made the reservations and we went over to Athena's on Tuesday night. We sat around a little table. I could care less about the lasagna because I have one mission. There's only one thing I want. I will get it. I'm very determined. I sat at the table and I'm going to make connection. And so I begin to probe. Hey, uh, Perry, uh, what do you like to do? Ah, I like ball. Hey, great. You like NFL football? I don't watch that anymore. I said, me neither. I said, uh, we, we, you like a ba ba basketball? Ah, I don't watch that anymore either. I said, me neither. I said, uh, what do you like, Perry? He said, oh, Rob, I like college ball. I said, I do too. I said, what team do you like? He said, go Alabama. Oh, no. Go Alabama. If I've got to like Alabama football to get a Bible study, so be it. Brethren, I have one mission. And so I looked at him and I said, I said, hey, Perry, I said, man, old Nick Saban's a good coach, isn't he? And I, they got a statue out there of him, Rob. I said, I know they do. They love him so. And we talked about Alabama football for 30 minutes. And, and when we were done, I had a plan. I looked at him. I said, Perry, I said, Alabama's had a terrible year. Do you know what a terrible year is for Alabama football? Do you know what that means? That means they just missed the national championship game. That's all it means. And uh, I said, I'll tell you what, Perry. I said, tomorrow night is the national championship game, and I know it's going to be a tough night for you. I said, why didn't you come to my house and watch the game? I said, I'll tell you what, we'll watch Clemson, and uh, we'll, we'll just see kind of what happens. He said, he said man, Rob, he says, uh, man, that'd be great. I said, we got a 120-inch projection screen. When I bought my house, somebody put in kind of a sports room, and it's got these big speakers. I said, Perry, I hardly ever use it. I said, let's have a party. He said, man, that'd be one. Ouch, what was that? That was my wife kicking me. She did not know about this party. And, um, and so, yes, and so when I got, when I got out of the, to the car that night, we had to have a discussion. What party and who's coming? I said, well, I said, just Perry and Ellen. Who's cooking for this party? And I said, well, honey, maybe you can make those little croissant rolls and you roll them up, you know, with the mustard and you got the dips and chips and the sausage balls. I said, you're really good at this stuff. One day notice, I said, honey, I'll help you. I said, Hannah, get in the kitchen. And so we got, mom, we got it all worked up. They came over to the house. We're, you know, we're watching that football. It was a blowout. And by halftime, I had him right where I wanted him.
I said, hey, Perry, I said, I got a question for you. Can you tell me why you visited the uh, Jacksonville Church of Christ? He said, well, 21 years ago, you guys started sending me house to house, heart to heart. He says, I read it every time I get it. He said, Rob, all you guys talk about is the Bible. I'll just be honest. My church doesn't follow the Bible anymore. And we're looking for a church that does. And I said, Perry, would you like to know more about the Jacksonville Church of Christ? He said, I kind of would. I said, I just so happen to have these little booklets. What do you think happened three weeks later? We baptized Perry, we baptized Ellen, and we weren't finished. We baptized their son, we baptized their daughter-in-law. We baptized 17. But you know, it doesn't work in America. Just keep doing the same things you've been doing and it won't work. That's our problem. We're not willing to take what works and franchise it. Brethren, I didn't invent this on my own. I went back to the great evangelist and I asked him, what did you do? How did you do it? I went to churches that grow and I found out, what do you do? How do you do it? We don't have time to come up with new, we don't, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. We need to find what works and if it's faithful, we need to do it. On the back of house to house, heart to heart, you need to advertise things that bring people. What brings people? If you told this community that your members were donating school supplies and you wanted to give out backpacks to people in this community, they're coming. But you know they're not coming if they don't know about it. If you sent something like this into the mailbox of every person, or at least you can pick the surrounding areas, I guarantee they're coming. We need to, we need to advertise things that are, we're doing in this church. Maybe it, is we're ha maybe it is we have a special marriage uh, 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 class that's going on for young couples and maybe people just need to know about those things. Advertise, let them know it. Offer things like, you know, tracks and DVDs and videos and posters and, and booklets and we give these things away for free. They're advertised. What happens if you advertise things like this? People request them. What happens if they request them? What should you do if they request them, Doug? Go to their house and give it to them. Yes, my name's Rob. This is my wife, Nicole. And uh, we understand you uh, asked for some marriage materials. Are you Miss Brenda? Oh, yes. You're from house to house. I said, yes, ma'am. Well, that was really nice of y'all to bring this. I did. I requested the marriage material. Well, Brenda, can I ask you, are you newly married? Yes, I just married. My, my husband and I just got, well, that's wonderful. I'm so, congratulations, Brenda. She said, well, thank you. I said, how long have you lived here? She said, oh, about a month. And I said, where'd you move from? Well, I, I, I moved from, I moved from um, Oxford. I said, well, you're living in, so you don't know a lot about Jacksonville. Do you? She said, I don't know much about this town. I said, do you know where anything's at? Well, not a lot. And I said, wow. I said, Brenda, I said, we're just, I'm so glad we got to meet you. By the way, here are the materials you request. She said, well, thank you. And uh, uh, Brenda, well, she said, well, wait a minute. Can I, can I interrupt you, sir? I said, sure. She said, I've got a problem. I just met her. I said, well, what do you, what, what's wrong? She said, well, my husband knows nothing about the Bible. She says, do you know anything about the Bible? Just a little bit. And I said, she says, good. She says, Daniel, get up. She's yelling into the house at Daniel. Daniel's on the couch sleeping. Daniel slowly gets up, 
rubs his eyes, moves to the, I'm watching this, moves to the front door. She looks at Daniel. She's five, six, he's six, four. And she looks up and she says, Daniel, we're going to teach you the Bible. I said, my wife will make the chocolate chip cookies always eat. I said, could I come tomorrow? She says, you come tomorrow and we'll do this. We're going to learn about the Bible. I said, I just so happen to have these little booklets. We baptized 17 in one year. They're not coming. Brethren, they're not coming. Not until you go to them are you going to reach them. They're not coming. You have to create contacts in your community. And you've got to go all in. Now's not the time for half measures. Now's not the time for us to hold back for the rainy day. We're in the thunderstorm. And our churches are going to close their doors unless we reach people. Now is the time for us to use every resource we've got. It's interesting how quickly churches will write checks for $10,000 to go to India. When our own communities are suffering, where is the church of Christ? We got to make a target list. We, we need every member of this church to make a list. I want a list of people that you know that are lost and we're going to get them. In fact, this is the only way it works. One of the first steps that we take is we've got to have target lists. And if we'll make target lists, if our members will begin to, to think of neighbors, friends and family, it's amazing what happens. We actually start reaching lost people. We, we've got to learn how to knock a door. We've got to learn what we should never say. Here, let me give you things we should never say when we knock a door. Let me give you two things we should never say. Would you like to have a Bible study? Mistake number one. Would you like to come to my church? We're having a gospel meeting. Mistake number two. They're not coming and they don't want your study. Let me give you what you might say. I'll give you five. I don't have time, but I've got five things you can do with about a 30% success rate. Let me give you one of them. Hey, my name's Rob, my wife, Nicole. We're local Christians and uh, we're reaching out to our community. We're, look, we're looking for people who need prayer. Do you, do you know of anybody right now that needs prayers? And uh, we're taking names and our church is praying for people. And do you know of anybody like that? M me, I, I need prayer. What's going on? I, I, I just gotta, I've, I've got, I'm in heart failure. My doctor just told me, can you pray for me? Sure, sure. Well, what's your name? Bill. What's your last name? Clark. Okay, Bill Clark. And wh where do you live, Bill Clark? Uh, is, this the, is this the house? Yeah. I tell you what, would it be okay if we sent you some cards? Oh, that would be wonderful. You, you send me cards? Sure. And we can I come back and pray again for you? Oh, that'd be wonderful. They're not coming. Someone not everyone, not every week, not even every month. But sometime during the year, you're going to have to go out to your community and meet these people. It's the only way. They're not going to watch your radio. They're not going to watch your television program. They're not going to listen to your radio program. But brother, they're not going to click your app. They're not going to read your magazine and they're not coming to the building. You've got to go to them. You say, Rob, isn't that a waste of time? 
Not if you do it right. We have a 30% success rate at the door. What about new movers? What about people moving into this community? Let me, let me, let me say a few things about new movers. I, this is exciting to me because we get about a 70% response rate from new movers. So new movers are people who move into your community and guess what? We can give you their name and address. And we're gonna send them a new mover postcard. We're gonna send them a new mover magazine, but that's not enough. That's not enough. Here's what you really need to do. You need to take that list of new movers. And what we need to do is go visit them with a gift. You never go to the door empty handed. So right now, let me tell you what my wife is doing. My wife is training your wives how to go shopping in the name of the Lord. And they're going to do some God authorized shopping. They're going to go to the, they're so excited right now. They've never done God authorized shopping before. They're going to go to the Dollar Tree and they're gonna make new mover baskets. And we're going to give a gift to people who move into the community and we're going to go to the door and welcome them. And guess what's gonna happen when you do that? David Shannon, it, President Fried Hardman, let me quote him from polishing the pulpit. People are most likely to change churches when they move. A couple of generations ago, if a couple or individual moved from one city to another city, they usually stayed in that same denomination. Those days are over. It doesn't matter to me what denomination they were in in the last town. Your average person today is willing to look at any church in their neighborhood. This is a powerful opportunity for evangelism. It doesn't matter to me what church they were in in the last town. I want them to visit a church of Christ for that gives us the best opportunity to sit down and study the word of God. Brethren, we need to train our church how to approach new movers. Home Depot knows how to do it. 10% off. It's the first piece of literature you'll get when you move. They are good. Lowe's knows how to do it. 15% off. Come buy your paint. Where is the church of Christ? Sitting in our pews again, hoping they're going to come. The Great Commission isn't a coming commission. The Great Commission is a going commission. Brethren, go ye does not mean go me. Go ye means go all. Ye is plural. And if we don't begin to work together as a church and reach into our communities, we won't make it. It's that simple. We've got to reach out to people. And there's so many different ways to do it. Cards. Write your cards. Send cards. Send hundreds of cards into your community. And you should divide this church into teams and people should be writing cards. It should be strategic, organized. We should have target lists. We, we know who we're sending. We send not one card with 20 signatures, but we send 20 cards. And we send them three on Monday, three on Tuesday, three on Wednesday, three on Thursday, three on Friday. And we just keep sending. And we love people. And we surround them. Look at what your Bible says in Jude, the 22nd verse. It says, on some have compassion, making a difference. Brethren, be compassionate to people. Share the love of God. Tell them that you care about them. When they lose a loved one, write a card. When they, when they have a new baby, write a card. When they're sick with cancer, write a card. Send them 30 cards from the church. Now make your visit. Go make your visit, Matt. When they have 55 cards sitting in their living room, what kind of response do you think they're going to give you? Pretty good one. 
What's going to happen if you go up to a door cold turkey and say, hey, I'm Matt Robinson. I'd like to invite you to church. What do you think they're going to do to that door? You'll be lucky if they don't cuss you. They're probably going to slam the door and say, no, thank you. But if you send them 55 cards, hey, would you and your wife, Matt, like to come in? Would you and Amy like to come in, Matt? Well, I've got to show you something. There's 55 cards sitting on the mantel over here. Matt, you wrote one of those cards. And, and Doug, you wrote one too. And your wife wrote one. And I tell you what, uh, uh, you, you guys all wrote cards. Clint, you wrote a card too. Matter of fact, we all wrote cards. Everybody wrote cards. Would you like some lemonade? Absolutely. We probably baptize more people because of that tool than anything we do in our school. We have duplicated it all over the country. If it does not work in Titusville, you'll be the only place in America it doesn't work. Her name is Bettina. Do you know what she's holding up in her hands? Cards. When my wife and I walked into her place, she was surrounded by cards. You know what just happened? You did your job. You loved her. The church poured their compassion and love out to Bettina. And because you did your job in an organized fashion, guess what I get to do? Guess what I get to do? I get to do what I love to do. Hey, Bettina, what do you think about the Jacksonville Church of Christ? Oh, I love it. Rob, I got 34 cards from your church. Bettina, do you know a lot about the Jacksonville Church of Christ? Don't really know much about y'all. Bettina, would you like to know more about us? I kind of would. Someone help me with my next line. I just... These little booklets. And we baptized her. Brethren, in the last five years, there's only two people I work with that I did not baptize. Two. Bobby Bates used to say, he was a great soul winner. I'll quote him. I like my way of doing things better than your way of not doing things. It's easy to sit and criticize. It's a whole different matter when it comes to actually doing something. Brother, we must do something. There are people in our communities that are lost, that are honest, and they just need love. They just need kindness. Till the soil. Fertilize the soil and sow the seed. It's a biblical principle. Six months later, she passed from this life into eternity. After the Bible study was over, uh, I had a sneaky suspicion that Bettina had connection with the Church of Christ in her past. So I asked her, I said, Bettina, have you ever visited a church? Well, I was a Baptist, Rob. I said, I, I know that, Bettina. I said, but you ever, well, my last town I lived, and I didn't want to tell you this, but I kind of visited the church a lot. I said, well, what's a lot? Every Sunday. I said, well, why'd you go to the church of Christ every, well, I didn't have a car. They were across the street, so I just walked over. I said, oh. I said, Bettina, how often did you go to this church of Christ? Every Sunday, Rob. I said, well, I obviously didn't live there very long. Oh, I lived there for five years. Five years? I said, Bettina, in the five years you went to this church of Christ and sat in their pew, did anyone offer to do a Bible study? Nope. No one offered. 
Maybe we deserve to shut our doors. Brethren, if we don't fight for God, God will let you die. He will not fight your battles for you. We are men in the church, soldiers in the army of Christ. Pick up your sword, men, and yield it. You've got to learn what to do when a visitor walks in the door. I'm going to end with this one right here. I've got so much stuff to teach you. But I'm going to leave it with your elders. So I'm just going to stop with this one because this is, this is so big. Let me tell you why this is big. Because statistically, you'll baptize more people from this contact source than any other. They are in your building for a reason. You don't have to knock a door. They're here. Pew Research Center did some research, and they wanted to know a little bit more about what visitors want when they walk into your building. And it was a really amazing study. Alan Webster actually found it. He sent it to me. He said, Barna did the study. Rob, I think you'll find this very interesting. So I started digging through and reading the data, and I was shocked. Do you know what the number one thing a visitor wants when they walk into a building? Do you know the number one thing they want? Do y'all have visitors, by the way, Matt? Do y'all ever have visitors here? Every week. What's the number one thing a visitor wants when they walk into your building? Anybody? The acknowledgement, okay. That was, a, that was actually a, a part of the results. Anybody else? A greeting, part of the results. Nowhere near the top. There's one thing a visitor wants when they walk into the building, and it's overwhelming. They want to sit down. They just want to sit down. They do not want Gabby Gossip interrogating them at the door. They did not want angry Fred staring at them. And they don't want men with earpieces and bulges in their right pocket interrogating them. Because you think they're a terrorist and you're about to take them out. That's not very comforting or welcoming. But you know what they really want? They want to sit down. So what if we had door greeters who actually made them feel welcome when they came in with specific instructions on what to say and what not to say? We trained them. And what if we trained pew greeters on what to say and what not to say in the pew? And what if we learned that visitors don't like you to sit with them? It makes them uncomfortable. What if we learned that visitors like you to sit in front or behind them? That makes them more comfortable. What if we learned that there's only one mission when it comes to visitors? There's only one thing that you're looking for. There's only one thing that I want when the visitor walks into the door. And does anybody know what that one thing is? I want their contact information. And they're not filling out a card. I want it. I'm going to get it. So I'm going to give them a gift. They're going to give me their contact information. And I'm going to invite them out to eat. And we're going to have four or five, six families trained to do that. Right now, my wife is training your ladies how to go shopping in the name of the Lord. Gentlemen, aren't you thankful that you don't have to go to the Dollar Tree tonight? Because your women are going tomorrow and they're making you baskets and they're prepared and they're going to greet visitors with gifts. What happens when you do that? You baptize and you baptize and you continue baptizing. What happens if we make sure that everything we do in the local church revolves around evangelism? What happens? What happens if we focus on the non-Christian sitting in our pew, 
cards being sent, visitors, door knocking, house to house, heart to heart, new movers, digital media, benevolence. What happens if we make everything we do in the local church about saving souls, brethren? What happens? To this intent that now unto principalities and powers and heavenly places it might be made known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. We grow. That's what happens. The North Jefferson Church of Christ was uh, dying. They'd gone from about 150 down to about 80. We came in, we taught them how to make contacts using this bookmark. I'm about to teach your elders and preacher the same lesson. They baptized 24 people in 12 months from a bookmark. Brethren, we can grow. We don't have to abandon the truth. We don't have to become trendy. We don't have to have clear pulpits and coffee bistros and we don't have to turn our church into some type of circus in order to grow. Do you know we can grow by just doing what Jesus did? Thank you for allowing my family to be with you this week. I know I've been hard on you tonight. Please know I love you. I care about you, brethren. We have no choice but to fight for our God. Let's pray. Our Father, we're thankful for the opportunity as men to come and discuss the mission of the gospel. Bless us with courage. Help us to fight for our families, for the church, and for our Lord. We pray that the church of Christ will grow. We love thee, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.